Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Oh, Mike, you got, a, you got a big bottle for this week. Yeah, that's a bigger bottle than I'm used to getting. This is We're going to have to make this a part one and a part two for this one, I think. <laughs> Maybe. El Jefe might linger for a bit. El Jefe. It's the one you got, and what kind of wine is it? That's a great question. So Tempranillo, I don't really know what that is, but it's a product of Spain, unoaked. Oh, grapes fermented in traditional cement vats. Jesus. Oh, yeah. That's is that kinda, a thing? I, it's kind of gnarly. I'm just like, interesting that you, they're not going to go with oak. I'm just like, we just want the grapes. So enjoy it, Mike. We'll just savor it on its own. All but right. you got to leave El Jefe behind. We okay. have too many bosses in this chapter, Mike, that we got to <laughs> deal with. Everyone's a boss, essentially. Guys, Helen Mahayam and Paul. And Paul. And like, uh, knowing what we're going to go into, I love the opening quote for this. Mm -hmm. uh, it. To me, it's just it's referring to Paul himself. Oh, I think Paul is the son in this setting we're okay. going to, right? Yeah, sure. You do not beg the son for mercy. Fair. You don't beg the emperor for mercy. I like it. He is, and I mean, the son is always the epitome of like the god deity, right? Right, like right, the right. Center of everything. Uh, is there anywhere else you want to you could pull from that? Um, Another I, way you could apply that to the chapter? Could she be the son? Maybe. I mean, I guess. They uh, they are the big bosses, you know, in their own right. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could apply it to both of them, but like I think you're pretty spot on. Like this is definitely Paul. Yeah, and and uh, it's coming from Stilgar's commentary. Yeah, yeah, about uh, Maudib's travail. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a, a travail is? I don't. I was going to ask you. Uh, so travail is painful or laborious effort. And you use it as a noun. So oh. Maudib's travail, just like this. Kind of a, I, I don't know if he'd be referring to like the war or the like the assembling of the government kind of deal. Like, what was okay. the longer, harder journey for Moadib? Because it doesn't seem like either of them went very well. No, the war or the government <laughs> building. You don't say. Don't say at all. But let's dive right into this then. All right. Leave a behind Stuhlgar's commentary. We know he's got a probably a tenured future ahead of him. Uh -huh. probably, seems probably. like he's going to do a lot of writing. He's got some folders he has to go file. Yeah, yeah, that's the secret of it all. Um, but we have Gaia Selmahayam. We join her right at the get-go. She's entering the throne room. Mm -hmm. We have a ring of Fremen guards around her, including a deaf mute. Now, I'm not saying the Baron invented this trick, <laughs> but it's definitely where Paul would have learned it. Yeah, He yeah. saw it firsthand as a little boy. And I just want to say, like, you don't improve on the, you just like, all right. Doesn't double he and know damp. that it doesn't work? Isn't it well? I like he saw firsthand <laughs> that it doesn't work. Maybe not mute enough. <laughs> this guy can't even read lips. <laughs> it's really hard to tell him what to do. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the difference is. Oh, I think it's so God. funny that they, yeah, they had that same problem back then. Uh, but guys, Helen, she's defying it ever, Mike, because she is hobbling along unconcerned. She knows it's going to take a while, but, like, you're going to make an old lady walk? Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk slow. Sure. I'm going to take my time. Uh, and she's working her way up there. And it's going to take, I mean, a portion of this chapter just for her to meet Paul. We are just going through passages and, like, down various corridors, through vaulted entrances, this and that. This is a classic movie scene, going into your secret vault, all these walls opening up. Oh, well, like, you ever watch, uh, like, The West Wing? They always have that classic scene yeah, of them sure. walking. They're always in the hallway, yeah. like, turning corners together. Yeah, I think it's this, but we're hobbling. We're going very slowly. 
Um, and since it's such a long walk, uh, she's got time to go through some thoughts. And this really lets us know where Gaius Helen is at right now. Because mm-hmm. she's been in solitary confinement up to this moment. Yeah, how long has it been since she got abducted from the ship? I mean, yeah, what do you think? I'm thinking it's only been a few days, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I think only, like... Not much time has passed in this oh, book. Oh, you know what? You're right. Think of, like, the biggest leaps we had in the beginning were just some travel times. We knew uh, Irulan had to come from Wallach 9 to there. So maybe there was, like, a month there. Then there was, like, two days when Paul recounted, like, Cheney and Irulan having that meeting. Sure. Or he was telling Cheney about his uh, encounter with Irulan. Mm-hmm. From there, I think we've only been a couple of days. Sure. Hate has basically been delivered. We installed the ambassador. Here we are. So I I don't know, maybe two or three. Um, Mm. And we know Irulan was uh, one of the last people to talk to her. Right. At least the conversations we observed, right? Uh, Unless that wasn't Irulan. No, I always that was your line. Every just time, to, every time, like, you're just trying. Just to. in case, I want that face dancing to get us <laughs> get us full work for this book. Um, but so, guys, Helen's thoughts. Let's hit them. First one: Why did Paul summon her? Yeah, is it time for sentencing? She hasn't quite pieced it together. Uh, and this sort of just thinking of Paul too. I like that she always goes back to the day of Paul's testing. Damn his mother. I th- yeah, but also like her like her response. I don't think she negates her own personal. She, I did. She this had a day. hand in it. Yeah, you can't just blame Jessica because like who trained Jessica? Yeah, like keep going back, teacher, teacher, teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this uh, obviously also reminds her of everything the Bene Gesserit lost. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we highlighted this when she got brought down to Arrakis. Sure, she was being taken to the place of her ultimate defeat. The Bene Gesserit lost everything yeah. here. We're right back to it. Uh, there's a great silence that moves ahead of her in this kind of like this uh, buffeting wake of Fremen that are moving with her. And she knows this silence will precede her. And basically, Paul's going to know she's coming. And we get this great uh, bit of humility from her, right? Where she's like, Paul's going to know I'm coming. I don't delude myself that my powers are greater. Right, than right, right. Like, you know, she's come to terms. She's seen it in action. Yeah, and I just think that's how clever she is. She's not going to be overconfident going to this meeting. Right away, she's like, no, his powers far exceed mine. What, didn't she get, like, voiced in the throne room, like, the first time she saw him? Wait, what? Like, at the end way, of way the back? first... Yeah, at the end of the first book. Didn't he use, like, a, like a thunderous, booming voice and it, like, affected her? Oh, oh, he did, like, like, some sort of weird it thing. It was, like, perfect voice. Yeah. Like, yes, I do kind of recall that. And then everyone's like, oh! He's the one, Moadib. I just, I just got like the David Lynch thing of like, uh, oh, that, that his, was way too much. His name is a killing word. <laughs> I hate that so, so much. much in him. Uh, but I, I think you are right in that uh, he really got to show it off there. Mm-hmm. So, Gaius Helen has also spent a portion of her day today before coming here with the Dune Tarot. And I think she was, like, trying to scry her own fate in a way. And she said she kind of had no luck with it just going mm. in. But it's like, yeah, we know. Everything's muddied. Now, to get us back to that timeline kind of question, I wonder if it's so muddied because we are in the shadow of Paul taking that massive spice dose last chapter. If mm. this is, like, the same day and she's doing the tarot come. Um, what do I, I want to say in tandem with Paul, like taking this huge dose and just throwing chaff up everywhere. It's like no one can see anything. True. 
him a little bit more. Like, I'll play your games. I'll play your games. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to look through a hurricane at that point. Um, but in uh, I guess so now we actually kind of we step back and going back into reality here of what she actually sees in this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of Farouk's description of the castle and this whole keep that we're in, mm-hmm. this is the other great description we get of guys, Helen, moving through these rooms and just saying, like, everything is so big. There are tricks of architecture here and there. Mm-hmm. She sees wealth and riches in everything here, meaning we're seeing beyond precious metals and stuff, we're seeing water spice everywhere. and water. Yep, mixed in. Again, we have tile work. More sea creatures. Somebody is making bank. I hope that's Lingard Butte's new business. <laughs> Maybe. Tile work, man. Think he got into it? Mm-hmm. You know his water business was shot. So. <laughs> uh, some rogue fig- robed figures pass her, and she can tell they know who she is. Mm-hmm. There's like the tension is palpable, right? Yeah. Uh, as they lead her through various passages, we get through one unique scene uh, where there's this uh, immense complex they pass with an open doorway that has Fremen in it, and timber and flute music play elder music. Ooh, Did you kind of catch elder this one? music? Yeah, it's just, it's very off of like, and it's just a side room. We're not even going to go in mm. that room, but we we stop to entertain this notion. Guys, Helen looks in there, and she just sees all these blue within blue eyes looking back out at her, and it just reminds her of all the genes. The wild genes of the Fremen, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, roiling that they kind of represent, uh, and I I love it. And it gives us another great insight to like what it's like to really be a day in day out Bene Gesserit, because mm-hmm. like we see them only at their most important moments. But sure, this is what's always on her mind. It goes there lay the measure of her personal burden. She knew. A Bene Gesserit could not escape awareness of the genes and their possibilities. She was touched by a feeling of loss. That stubborn fool of an Atreides. How could he deny the jewels of posterity within his loins? A Quisach Hadarak, born out of his time, true, but real, as real as his abomination of a sister. And there lay a dangerous unknown. A wild reverend mother spawned without Bene Gesserit inhibitions, holding no loyalty to orderly development of the genes. She shared her brother's powers, no doubt, and more. Yeah. There's, there's a lot fact in there. It's a great uh, paragraph. So first, like I said, the, the Bene Gesserit point of view. It's always how she's assessing things, like these gene pools, this and that. Uh, and then, like, commenting on how Aaliyah doesn't have that tempering of a Bene Gesserit. Where, like, right. Again, how I could say there's never been that rogue Bene Gesserit. And this is like the... The, the closest the, to it, probably. Well, this is the insurance for why there isn't. That's right. kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, they're all like so ingrained to be like, no, you fundamentally can't do these mm-hmm. things. And here's the reason why. And I think it's the explanation that's so thorough for them. But now we got the wild card. And this has been a running theme, right? What are Aaliyah's powers? What are Aaliyah's powers? And like honestly, we don't even know though. Still, no, we we're we're just constantly building it up. Like this is a developing thread that's going. Um, and then the this aspect of uh, guys, Helen wanting the uh, the jewels of posterity within his loins. Yeah, that's a sentence. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a euphemism. <laughs> just need that sweet sweet Atreides juice. And oh, can't get it. <laughs> really digging this so we got to keep our eyes on Aaliyah mm-hmm. uh and well, it's not just, it's not even uh just that because like we talk about that a little bit in this chapter in, in like, what way 
Paul makes a proposition. Yes, yes. So, like, there's more to it than that. She also wants control of the throne in a way. Or at least, like, control to the person on the throne. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, that's always part and parcel with the Quisar Chatterak. Right. Because, like, what they want the Quisar Chatterak for? To put on the throne. Do you think they could have gotten the Quisar Chatterak sooner if it wasn't about getting him on the throne? Just about the genes? Oh, ooh, possibly. Maybe. Hmm. That's, that totally seems reasonable. Yeah, like, sure. yeah, if you separate out those goals, it does seem like we've really had it bound up and, <laughs> like, getting to that last little sure. piece. But yeah, yeah, I think you probably could have done something. Like, hey, guys... Could have maybe had a plan, an easier plan. Uh, that makes me think then that the Bene Gesserit are not only responsible for like matchmaking and getting like pairing up these houses and genes, but also for like the destruction of some houses. Like, hey, oh, we gotta almost, make room. Certainly. It's like, yeah. yeah, we need someone else right here, right now. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely within their realm. Like, they, I mean, but that's just politics. Yeah, yes. And that's what the Bene Gesserit do. Like, yeah, every. Sometimes you got to go, Mike. You got to make room for oh. new. Well, change is just inevitable. Otherwise, sure. we get to conservatism and we get in like how that quote uh, that was applied in this book. Sure. Saying like it stops you from progressing at all, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're so trying hard to stay still that you just fall into nothingness and crumble. That can't happen. Now, knowing this is the mindset that uh, Guy's Helen's going in, we can. Uh, we now start to focus more on the building, what the building is going to be uh, telling us. Because the building's like a third character in this chapter, right? Yeah, kind of. It's here. That's a really good point, actually. I don't think I really it, on that. The, on the journey yeah. through it, this is doing work for Paul. This building is, this mm-hmm. is Paul like, oh, I don't even want to know. Like, it's the projection of what he wants his emperor to, empire to be in a way, okay. right? This whole building and like what it's doing to people. Uh, but it's going to oppress her. And that's the way Paul wants it. She tells us a dozen ancient cities could fit inside his keep. That's wild. So that's the quote I always go to when I'm telling you the scale of the building. It's from Guy's Helen walking through and her giving us this firsthand account. And, and she would know. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were like Farouk's, you were like, all right, maybe that's a little bit of a myth mixed in there. Like he's just telling wild yeah. stories. And Guy's Helen, you're like, no, that's probably very literal. Like, <laughs> I don't think she's like telling me like this could me- metaphysically fit. Like, no, I think she literally means like I can see the roads. Yeah, it all yeah. fits. Uh she sees that there are Ixian lifts that could have brought her much faster all the way up there. And that <laughs> they made her Climb the stairs. That really grinds her gears right there. She's not like, (laughs) but it's important. This was the only clue she needed to figure out. She figures everything out by this, but she is a little peeved that like, (laughs) you son of a bitch. Uh, But she's like, all right, he's doing this. He needs something from me. And then elation goes through her, but she's still hobbling. Yeah. And I love it. But she got a little extra pep in her step. No, no she, she's got to cover it up. She oh, okay, knows. Okay. They're all watching her. But, like, just, uh, who knows what happened on the inside? There's, like, a little dancing Mahayam inside of her. Um, then, Mike, I don't know if this one caught you. Oh. She passed some oval doors with winking lights. They are literally winking at you. I didn't catch that. Oval doors. What a reminder. That, and you know what? This building's new. Paul put those in. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I've been wanting them back for a while, and here they are. I'm so glad. That's really good, though. And with the, another little reminder. With them winking at me, too. I was like, what the fuck is that about, Frank? <laughs> just in case I missed it. Uh, but I loved it. So, that is really good. Oval doors, on notice. Um, and now, guys, Helen's going to recall part of Sightail's comment of that uh, someone who's turned into something will die before turning into the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. And he keeps hammering in that Paul has 
developed into something? Like, what do you think Paul has developed into that he's not willing to come out of? Hmm. I mean, is it, is it just getting on the, because he, I think from our perspective, Paul is on the rails within his vision. For sure. And that's something he's not willing to back out of. I think, uh, oh. I mean, it's just like the first book where it's like, he's just trying to find any sort of escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just feeling a little bit more like a uh, cornered. Okay. Yeah. But um, I mean, like, uh, within side tales, Summit, though, he says like something develops into something and they refuse to turn into the opposite. And like, certainly he is cornered, but he's cornered because he's not willing to change what he is. And okay. I'm sort of like, so what are we saying that he is? Is it just like digging into the, uh, the Quisachotoric kind of like, that's the, the corner he's dug and put himself into. I don't, I don't think it's the quiz. I wanted to say like, mm-hmm. holy's dug corneries into both those metaphors there. Oh, I don't know. Cause like normally, like with uh Leto, it felt like it was definitely an issue of pride. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the book, we found that mirrored in Paul as well as an issue of pride, but I don't think that's the case anymore here. I think it is just an issue of refusal because he does not like the result. Cause I think ultimately he's going to lose Cheney if he goes down a certain path. Mm-hmm. That's at least that's the one we're on right now. Right. 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 As far as Paul is concerned. I mean, like, if he had a path in the first book where his son could have lived, he'd have taken that one. Mm-hmm. I think regardless of what the end result would have been. Yeah, yeah, and presumably that was the path we were on for a little yeah, while. I, I thought uh, so. I, I didn't even realize I, that was on the table there. I hope, <laughs> he, did, I hope he didn't take that off-ramp on purpose. Uh-huh. Um, all right, well, so nonetheless, let's keep going then. These passages, they grow ever larger, Mike, until finally she arrives at the doors to the anteroom, and she has to suppress a gasp when she measures the true dimensions of these doors. 80 meters by 40 meters. Holy crap. That's 262 and a half feet tall by about 131 and a quarter. Oh, my God. So that's the... Um, that's insane. Yeah, it's the basically the entire Statue of Liberty. <laughs> like, that, that's how tall that door is. Oh, it's, it's a little bit of an in-between. It, from ground level to torch is 305 feet. So we're cutting off somewhere in the base, but the entire old lady, she go, she can walk through that door. Oh, my God. The Statue of Liberty can walk through that door <laughs> with the torch held high. It's awesome. And it opens silently. Oh. Ixians. Any, oh, anytime you have something really cool that's silent or, like, frictionless, Ixians. They always they do it. They're so good. It's having that mystic mariner background. You can just, you can just make the best things ever. But we're finally here, Mike. That's we're- so ostentatious. Why would you ever need that? Oh, Mike, <laughs> come on now. What do you mean? <laughs> when you got to march in like legions of Fremen, sure, you want that one. I told you uh, before we talked about because um, I'd been watching the Man in the High Castle and the Germans in like when they were going to rebuild Berlin, if they mm-hmm. had succeeded, they were going to build the largest single dome structure in it. And uh, when everybody was assembled in there, like all the Germans, all their um, breath would literally make clouds. Oh my God. In the top, because it would be so large. Um, so I love, that's so I think that, that's, you got to do it. Yeah, you sure. just got to do it. Um, you build a truly impressive place. I mean, this place is going to get even crazier because going inside, this is where the true architecture really sure, kicks yeah. in is uh, inside the throne room. And guys, Helen's going to set the scene of Moadib, Moadib before whom all people are dwarfed. 
Now she saw the effect of that popular saying at work. Okay. There you go. So this place is just truly massive. Uh, Again, the Mark Simonetti artwork that you can find online for um, Doom Messiah. Highly encourage you to go check it out. The one with Guy is hella Mahayam walking, and there's two with Edric in it. Just give you a great sense of scale for that room. Uh, The Guy is hella one especially. And she's coming up, and the subtleties of architecture make this place so big. Paradoxically, though, the hall grows smaller around Paul's throne, as if the room refuses to dwarf him. Oh, that's cool. That is cool, and I'm wondering, like, I get it when you say that in text. I don't know how you visualize that. No? I'm I'm sure you can do it, you know, lines and stuff like that to give you, like, this visual effect. I just can't in my head, but I love the idea of it and the craftsmanship of it to be like, yeah, you would totally make this like. It's like almost like a sideways pyramid. An arrow? What? No. no. That's a a triangle. What's the sideways? What do you mean? Well, like uh, how you have like the large base at the bottom and then uh, it comes to a a head Mm at the top. I just imagine that sort of knocked over and at the head it sits Paul on the throne. Everything sort of just like comes down to that point. Yeah, okay, that's what, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of thinking you doing lines within the room or something like sure, sure, various sure. pillar structures. Uh, and yeah, so it makes Paul seem like, t- and I think Guy is telling, she keeps characterizing this as like an untrained awareness, saying like, normal people, you others, you know, they would all be daunted by this. And the basically a lot of, um, what do I want to say, of like an optical illusions would be kind mm-hmm. of in play here that make Paul look like a giant, essentially, sure, yeah. as you're approaching him. Uh, and going up, we also get Gaius Helena uh, once she finally gets closer up. She assesses the throne. And Mike, I got new throne theory. Oh. C- coming in hot with this one. Okay. So, Hagar, Hagal, remember that conversation? Yeah, that's right. I think two different thrones. Oh. Yeah, and I got a case here. One, it's uh, I think his is a Hoggle Quartz, and this is a Hagar Emerald. Those could be totally different things. Gaius Helen describes this throne. So thoroughly, but not like this was the one I stood behind. Right. You know, on that fucking terrible day when Paul took over. Like, I don't think this is the same throne at all. I think this is a different throne. And that he let, I, because like, wouldn't that be even more insulting to let Shaddam keep his throne? (laughs) Keep your chair, buddy. (laughs) Go ahead. So you're going to feel so bad every time you sit on that because it's not the throne anymore. Um, and then I think this one was cut of an emerald to give it all the inflection that Gaius Helen tells us here. Uh, we're like, it is both green for growing and mourning. It is a symbol of life and death, uh, which I also love with that being the Atreides colors. The Atreides are oh, very yeah. much caught in between life and death constantly. Sure, yeah. That is their MO. There's natural habitat. Yeah. Well, one, like, that is where all the stories we read about them exist. Sure, yeah. That's where Paul literally exists. That's where he, remember that time he died and he was in a coma (laughs) for a few months? Right. They're just all piled up in there. So cool. Uh, but that's my going there now. Hagar, Hagar. I think. No, I think you're definitely right, actually. And you know what? Occam's razor is anytime you're going to be like, well, I think Frank messed up. And I'd be like, it's probably he didn't. And he just like you're just jumping to too many hoops sure. to get to the right. Well, the conclusion. fact that it is emerald instead of quartz, I think that's the big thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I I think Hagar and Nagal even. Well, Hagar emerald we were talking about before, um, it was with the teapot, I believe. 
Oh. So that's what we were talking about. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. But we were like, oh, yeah, that's where we got confused. But the throne, it was out of a single. So that so his teapot could be cut from this. Well, no, because it belonged to Jameis. Unless he oh. tracked down the original, like, Which? check of Emerald. He was completely he, possible. Honestly, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not gonna, it's really uh, inconvenient, but not inconceivable. You know, as soon as I said, I'm like, but Paul would be able to do that. The man who's spending water like a madman? Yeah. yeah he'll go find a rock. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, that'd be really cool, actually. Yeah, it would be yeah. kind of in a, in a roundabout way. As stupid as it is, I do want it to be how, yeah, how yeah. that went about. But I love that the teapot came first. <laughs> You go back and it's like a little nick out of it. Get the whole thing. Get Pull it all out. All right. So good. Um, looking at that throne too and her, uh, she's kind of thinking of the history there. She's like, you know, this whole building has had an effect. This whole throne has a big effect. And then she mentions the last line of this uh, assessment is time played its role here too. Oh, oh. no. I'd say she said time played its role here. I added the two, yeah. Oh, okay. But it all it's just included to everything else. Um, and I think that, that's the point of, like, how long it took her to get up there. Like, mm-hmm. that is also a factor in this room. Right, right. To have an effect on you. Uh, it's just like, it sort of breaks you down as you walk closer to it. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it takes her minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many? I'm thinking over 20. <laughs> and she's hobbling the entire yeah, time. That's why I'm like, have you ever seen, like, a little old person walk, like, a block? Like, it takes a while. And she's just doubling down of, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm, I, she's just going back to jail. So, yeah. like, hobble. She's, she's going to have to walk all the way back, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, no, no, she's going to get, I think she'll get the express ride. Cause, Lip, uh, lifts are closed. <laughs> yeah, well, broken. Down for maintenance. Uh, Watching people get on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, sorry, it's closed. What can I say? Uh, and then we get the line that you were just kind of referring to. You start the walk with human dignity, but you end as a gnat. Mm. Even guys, Helen. And again, a little humility, just recognizing that. It's like, I know my place. This, this is having an effect on me. Now, we have Aaliyah and Stilgar are standing to Paul's left. We got an assemblage of the crew here. Hate is one step up from the floor on his right. Mm. Symbolically, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's just like, literally, that's that's where his place is. He's in the just world. like slightly elevated, but like you mm-hmm. know, he has a place. Aaliyah being at the left hand of God, mm-hmm. appropriate, appropriate. Uh, and then we have an array of guards along the back. These are old naives. Oh my god, yeah, that's yeah. fucked. So I, I'm like kind of torn of like I don't know if that's a great place of honor or like you guys should be doing other shit. But at the same time, like, well, no, I think it would. Ha- well, you're, I don't you're, think you could do it any other way. Like, if you want, like, the honor guard from Modib, I well, think it might... And I think you want them there. This is all official business. Yeah. Like, yeah, you want all of them there. All here, the Hearing what's going on and everything. Uh, and can, if, can you imagine not getting that job as a naive? Yeah. All your other naive right, friends right. do, though? Oh. I mean, we don't have many naives, but... <laughs> uh, some of them, though, even got las guns. Oh, my God. Even while Paul's got that shield on, so... It's, we've gone... It's only been like 12 years, man. What yeah. happened? What, wait, what do you mean? From our classic Fremen, they're just like, shh, las guns. Uh, uh, hmm. What? No, they scoffed at shield. That's true. I don't think we ever got them like giving a shit about las guns. I don't think I ever saw one use a las gun, though. I mean, well, they're hard to get. Sure. Uh, you, well, you think uh, the Baron makes sure no one gets a las gun because they operate shields. Fair. 
Uh, like it's it's a it's a big deal sometimes when las guns move around. Uh, okay. Eventually, they'll be highly regulated under like the God Emperor. I, when we did the deep dive of the las guns, oh like, right, right. They they pretty much go out of operation when we get to his time for it. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, we're not a hundred percent of like what their I guess yeah, what their have... feelings out are. But uh, I'm gonna say this guy's a badass nonetheless. <laughs> Just like he's got to feel good. Like you're you're trusted to hold that. Sure, yeah. You know, because Paul's got that. Shield. He's got a shield. Yeah. Now. Kaya's telling she's going to stop about uh, 10 paces from our dear emperor. And she notes that Cheney and Irulan are both not here. Strange. Oh, they're, no. They're always present during uh, these kind of uh, meetings. Now, we know what Cheney's up to. She's pregnant. She's got shit to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Any idea what Irulan's up to? Um, Maybe dead in the desert many chapters ago? And it's been side the whole time? No! No, she's no, she's definitely not in the desert. Okay, don't okay. you dare! Always throwing it out there. Always throwing. We never saw the head, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, like she didn't get, she didn't accomplish anything with the the plan she was told yet. No, yeah, no. So, no, like, really. why would Saitel do her in? Oh, I wouldn't assume. I guess yeah, I am kind of implying. So I'm saying Saitel took her spot. I guess I'm not saying he killed her. I mean, if he took her spot, he killed her. <laughs> He's an opportunist. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, we're waiting to see where Irulan is. I love we're going to get a little exchange on her. when She kind of gets cast off to the side, mm-hmm. but I'm still like, she's, she's her own coin at this point. And yeah, I, yeah. We do got to recognize she is an independent player still. Mm-hmm. Who knows what she's going to She's a wild card. Always. Uh, so as uh, Guy's Helen steps up, Paul, he's silent. So, Gaius Helen goes for it, and she takes the initiative. <laughs> she takes the initiative. And I'm so glad. She's like, I'm going to go on the offensive. So, the great Paul Atreides deigns to see the one he banished. Like, <laughs> God, I love her. love her. So it, his mind's just like, she knows. She knows. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, he knows what she's capable of. He doesn't mm-hmm. just, like, dismiss her. Because, like, you know, he's Paul Muad'Dib, and he's got all these powers. He does take it with a grain of salt. He sort of knows everyone's capacity. Yeah, I mean, he smiles at this. He, I think he likes it. He's like, I, I should have said something. I left her that opening. Mm-hmm. That was that was stupid on my part. Uh, and he gives us a great line of like, um, the Bene Gesserit don't become Reverend Mothers on accident. Well, unless you're Aaliyah. Fate, Mike. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know. Well, you, you need Aaliyah. Sure. Aaliyah's got purpose. It wasn't an accident that she became Reverend Mother? I guess probably. I think that was a pretty big oopsie. No, no it was on purpose. Jessica didn't realize what she was doing. Yeah, she did. She didn't. She knew. She she thought of the risk. She didn't share it with Ramallo. I'll give you. She didn't she know. Didn't no, re- she didn't know the full extent. Yeah. But like, she knew enough to be like, I'm choosing to throw my daughter in the mix here. <laughs> I don't know. I think. I think we could like. It's definitely gray. Can you agree? The muddle, yeah, yeah, yeah. a muddledness here. Not the point we need to dig into. Sure, though, sure. For it. But we. I just love this. It's the recognition of her specifically uh, being like how this woman got here. Like mm-hmm. this is purpose through all time. Uh, and she's been building up kind of to get to this point as well. But Paul is, he's open to be like, look, let's just skip the games. All right. All right. Like we don't need to do this fencing. Brass tacks. Yeah. And guys, Helen's like, Ooh, is it really going to be that easy? Like if, if you say so, she's going to go for it again. She's like, what do you want from me then? <laughs> Stilgar. I wish we had been counting how many times he was going to strike the person talking to Bob. He's We're def- at like five at this he's point. He's definitely taking the new gurney role. And I'm just thinking like, so he's been stopped all these times. Yeah. It have to have been a bloody 12 years. Cause like I, he wouldn't be doing this unless he's not, he's not stopped every single time. Yeah. It's like this, this happens every time he's like, Oh, I'm going for it. But oh my God. we, he, 
brings him down, and then she taunts him for that. Of like, oh, I expected more from Stilgar the Naive. And Stilgar is just like, oh, often I must speak otherwise than I think. This is called diplomacy. Yeah. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) That's Stilgar's brute uh, assessment of what diplomacy (laughs) is. And I like it. It's That's back to Fremen on point, right? So funny. Do you think she's trying to shake him a little bit? From a conspiracy point of view, mm. in the same way Irulan, like Irulan locked on to him right away. Sure, yeah. To be like, is this a possibility? I hmm, I don't think so. Well, we're going to get to guys Helen realizing that this is all a dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. So I think she's kind of playing into it a little bit. Okay. Knowing this is all like a sham. Uh, she tells them to, to or rather, uh, we get to her asking Paul, like, why'd you make an old woman walk out so far? What's wrong with you? I'm your grandmother. Um, and he tells her, look, you had to know how callous I could be, so you'll appreciate my generosity. Like, damn. Mm. And she's going to come right back at him. You dare such gaucheries with a Bene Gesserit? Now, that was another one, a little vocab word for me. Do you, know, do you know gaucheries? No. Do you know, like, gauch? Uh, no, that one, that was the familiar one for me once I got this kind of worked out. It's in awkward, embarrassing or unsophisticated ways, <laughs> which is just great. Yeah. Like you did sure. to us. You're going to just be so clumsy and sure. forward, like no grace, no tact. Uh, it's just like crudely kind of done. And Paul's going to follow this up with like a coded death threat, you know, make sure we're all on the same page here. Mm-hmm. And I think this is his way of saying of like, look. Don't spook the naibs. <laughs> they 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 get very they'll they'll all run. They'll panic. These are like fainting goats here. Just fainting follow naibs. my lead. Just a, a bleeding sound and they all just <laughs> fall sideways. Roll down the stairs. It's just like a domino effect the whole way through. Oh, it takes so long to I was get like, them up. That upright. was way easier than I thought. Whoa. Yeah. So it's like, because Paul's saying, like, look, we just gotta, I just gotta play this role, let them know I tried and put you in this place, and mm. I'm gonna be this great, uh, magnificent, uh, I mean, magnis- magnanimous emperor. He's got an air that he has to put on. Exactly. Like, yeah. Now, we'll uh, suddenly jump into Aaliyah's head real quick. Because remember, she's on the um, standing here, right to Paul's left. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah glanced at her brother, nodded toward the draperies behind the throne. She knew Paul's reasoning in this, but disliked it all the same. Call it wild prophecy. She felt pregnant with reluctance to take part in this bargaining. Oh. Now, another fully packed kind of paragraph for us. One, Aaliyah, always the better mind here. Mm -hmm. She's like, let's do this out back. Uh, (laughs) But she's not fully in the loop of this whole kind of plan here. So she's thinking, like, I have to keep the family in line. Like, she's the only one looking out for the family. Paul's Mm. looking out for himself and, like, his immediate family. Aaliyah is, like, looking out for the house, I feel, in a way. Like, what is he doing to the Atreides, Mm -hmm. acting so foolishly? Uh, Then we get to the reasoning why. She doesn't quite know. She can't put her finger on what's wrong here. Wild prophecy. Then Frank uses the word pregnant with reluctance. Yeah. Now, if you're going to use that with Aaliyah, that's a very choice word. Another thing, just keep an eye on it. Because mm-hmm. we've already talked about her mating. We've talked about marrying her off. Talked about her hormones. Now we're talking pregnancy. So 
keep back to Paul. Like that was the only little bit we get into Leah's head. And they were quickly back at her, mm-hmm. which I'm like, it's such a shame. Paul calls guys, hell an old woman. This brings back her to the past a little bit. Um, just like, ah, uh, he called the old woman back on Caladan. Uh, with all the memories. This young whippersnapper. And conceding that she looks tired, Paul invites her to the private quarters that Aaliyah's indicated. Uh, he motions for Stilgar, and, like, hate comes up, and they both help her up the steps, and now we're just giving her this little... You know, the dumb show's over, and we're going to head back past the draperies. You must be tired after I made you walk, walk all like, the distance. For, like, an hour. Miles. She's she got was. trekking poles. She's sweating. <laughs> I, I think she would have the cart with, like, the tennis balls on the yeah. bottom. Come on, now. Uh we enter, oh, I'm sorry, as we have to go down a little passage here. Sure. Now, it's important that in this passage, guys, she gets an uneasy feeling. She looks mm-hmm. behind her. Aaliyah's following her. Eyes held a brooding, baleful cast. Ah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> she, she shudders. Oh she does not like Aaliyah, and we're no. going to avoid eye contact with her for the majority of the chapter. Mm. And uh, we'll get to why when the event happens. We go into a private chamber. This one is only 65 feet to a side, and it is cramped in comparison to the audience hall, she notes. 65 feet, Mike. It's like four times this room <laughs> on each side. Huge. Oh, not compared to where we just were, though. No, but that's why she's saying it. It's like, if that's why it feels cramped in yeah. here. It's just like, oh, God, what are we doing? You know, the Statue of Liberty would have to hunch. <laughs> Uh, but we get the classic still tent style. We get all the like, little draperies on the side and whatnot. And uh, I got to give you the acknowledgement here. We mentioned her steely teeth again. Yes. I can't help it. Like, every you time. I'm shot like, me down so hard in the beginning. Hey, no, but I mean, I stand firm. It still, it doesn't say it. but it does. Every, every, no, no. It's the glimmer of the teeth. But I do, I'm not willing to make the leap off of that one. But every other time, totally. Fucking metal teeth. I oh. can't hold it back oh. from you. Uh, I, I love it that every time it comes up I'm like yeah yeah, I got that one wrong uh, in a low voice Paul said I wish to bargain for you, uh, with you for the life of my beloved Ooh. that's what we're back here for mm-hmm. Stogar clears his throat Aaliyah is fingering the Chris knife sheathed at her neck <laughs> the Gawola remained at the door face impassive metal eyes pointed at the air above the Reverend Mother's head Oh. So I, I like, this is like giving us that perspective. We've sat down. We're like, we're guys hell in here looking around this room. And that's what you see. The sure. emperor tells you this. Everyone else, you know, the other two are on edge. And this Gola, you look at as like, that's a tool for me. And she's counting on that. It's working sure, for her. Yeah. But she does not know how wrong she is on that. Right, right, so right, right. Right. Like hate is going to fuck she's with her. She's never even bit. met hate. Um, Presumably. I guess. You know, there's just that time yeah. before everything's set up that, like, sure. yeah, I'm willing to totally say hate doesn't seem to recognize her. I don't think they, they definitely didn't talk. Sure. Yeah. Um, She, uh, or, so Gaius Helen, very on point. She doesn't ask if he has seen Cheney's death being Paul. She asks if he has seen her hand in Cheney's death of like, oh, did I do that? <laughs> and, you know, but also just to sort of test the waters, like, uh, what do you know? Exactly, but I think in either way, she is just happy to hear that Cheney's death is inevitable. Yeah. By Paul bringing this up, that tells you that's where we're going. Sure, yeah. Like, if you were anywhere unsure. Now, she feels threatened by the Gola. Do you have uh, any thoughts on that? 
She's not sure why she gets that feeling. Maybe a little too much side tail in there. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I'm just saying, she, this could be the other woman with little prescience on her hands. Sure. I, I I don't have a better answer for you. I just still, I don't think they actually met because I think that no, no, I, they don't need to met though. Of just like, why does she feel threatened by him? Like she would have an inkling of like whatever's going down, mm. but you're not sure. Well, I mean, what uh, you've got Naive, you've got Aaliyah, you've got like the former swordmaster. Like these are just dangerous people. Mm. Outside of like Paul could definitely handle her on his own. Yeah, or maybe it's even a little disconcerting that he's already, like, in their confidence. Oh. Like, you just highlighted, like, yeah, we're in this private room. I get why, you know, like, what is it, four of the people are here. Mm-hmm. I don't really get why hate's here. That's a good point. This Mentat gift from the Benetlax loom. But then again, I guess they all know we're all it. Everyone knows you're all trying to kill each other. He's looking above her. Is that just Looking like above him, her head, keep, keeping like a, a straight face and like staring ahead, or like are his eyes like seeing something that everyone else can't? Ooh, oh my, good touch. Always oh, should hit on something like that. Yeah, the, like that's what the metal eyes are for to be a symbol of. I I don't know. I get a very like that seems like a Duncan Idaho kind of thing mm-hmm. of like it's just uh, it's just disconcerting enough. Yeah, I don't I don't know really what to make of it other when make it kind of makes you feel awkward of just yeah. knowing that he's not looking at you. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, yeah, just to, like it puts you off. Sure. Mm. So, she asks what coin, guys Helen asks what coin Paul is willing to offer then. And Paul holds nothing back. He's going to tell her right out. Look, Irulan banished artificially inseminated with my seed. Bam, on the table. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? And uh, she's like, artificially? (laughs) No, we are not going to talk about sins, abominations, or the beliefs left over from past jihads. Ooh. I love that. I'm just like, that's so like two jihads ago. Let me me stop you right there. Mm -hmm. She's like, what what about the throne? I love every time she says the throne. He goes, my throne? Mm. You're not getting the title like, quite right. It's not right. the throne. It's my, my throne. throne. Yes. You're, assu- you're saying it as if it's still up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And then we get, I'm so glad Gaius Helen is sitting down. Because she asks, well, who will bear the imperial heir? Chaney. She's barren. She's pregnant. No, you dun, lie. Dun, dun. Yeah, dude, the hurt. Yeah. That... It just undermines how distraught she has fucking true sense. Yeah. And she's still like an emotional reaction. She <laughs> just snaps. Like you lie, she snapped. And again, Paul held up a restraining hand as Stilgar surged forward. <laughs> oh, God. You can't call the God Emperor a liar. <laughs> oh, Stilgar, that knife. It's going to go dull just by like him <laughs> unsheathing yeah. it halfway and putting it back in. He tells her that, oh, so we've known for two days that oh. she carries the child. So that's at least uh, two days. She's it, been... I think it's been at least a week here. Okay. <laughs> Let's round a up. A solid six days. <laughs> Damn it, I wanted to be seven. <laughs> yep. Every time. Uh, I like that. So that's really cool. That's hammered on. So again, Irulan, artificial, final offer. She has to close her eyes to hide her face from Paul. 
Oh. She needs to think. This is a this is a heavy moment. Yeah, you blindsided the Benny Gesserit. This is twice in her lifetime. This has happened with this little fucking shit of a kid. <laughs> this little asshole. Yeah, uh, not getting any inheritance from me. Let me tell oh, you. Oh <laughs> no, it's go- I'm going rape. I'm going to Aaliyah. I don't even like her. But <laughs> can't even look her in the eye. Uh, but this is so heavy because it goes against every Bene Gesserit teaching, which is so personal to Gaius Selma Hayam. And then it goes against every lesson from the Bene Je- uh, from the Butlerian Jihad, which would be like the cultural background to right. her life, you know, exactly. just hitting her twofold. It's so ingrained in their society, but Paul will have them breed like animals, which is so oh, repulsive to her. Oh, now, internally, she she kind of caves. I don't know fully what to make of that line. If she's, like, giving in or if she is holding out. By like, being, yeah. When she said needs went deeper than prescription. Dang. Is that, like, the needs to not breed like animals over the prescription of, like, needing the genes? Or the need of the genes over the prescription of breeding like animals? I think it's it's left that vague on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic Benny Jesuit. Frank's just like, oh, it's late. I gotta go to bed. Let them figure it out. Fuck it. They're fucking now. And uh, she ultimately is like, look, I'll have to talk to the sisterhood about this, really. Uh, but guys, Helen knows this is a trap in this bargain. It's an act that would bring down popular wrath if ever discovered. And it could never buy them the throne. Yeah. Yeah. Goes, they'd be an abomination. And then you can never claim it's related to the emperor. Like, sure. He's got and you. It's like, I mean, I guess you have the genes, but what are you, what are you ultimately doing with them at that point? I'm, but like, I mean, you take the offer, right? Yeah. What, el- what take, else is always, there? Hey, always take the money. Yeah. <laughs> take the money and Don't run. gamble it. Don't gamble it. You go to is this t- just an elaborate game show the guys held Mahayam is on? Well, Paul will offer them three doors. Uh, <laughs> he's going to do the Monty Paul problem. And like, oh, no. He's going to show you what's behind one door. Oh, that was the jeans. Sorry. <laughs> now, well, let's go back into Gaius Dillon's point of view here. She's going to look everyone over again. We've now moved down a little bit in how this bargaining's gone. Stilgar, passive. Aaliyah, watching the Gola. Paul, slightly veiled wrath. Like, Paul's getting pissed. This is going yeah. on. Like he is not in a good place. Uh, Cause again, you know what he's bargaining for the level he's on. Sure. Uh, this isn't an entertaining notion. I mean, him. this is a level of desperation on Paul's part too. It's like, it's Leto desperate. Yeah. Like, he's, he's in his father's shoes right now. Um, we then turn to the Gola and this is really interesting. I don't know if you caught this one in your first read through. She sees a muscle move on the cheek of the Gola. And wonders, what was that? Was that an emotion? That's what causes her to engage hate as the Mentat. Mm. It's, she just catches that, and she's like, I need to. Because right now, she's buying time. The de- everything's already done. She can't do any more bargaining. She can't do any more debating. Ultimately, she's going to pass it off to the Bene Gesserit. But she sees this. She takes a fucking swing for it. And it's like, calculator man, do some math for me. Operate as a Mentat. Hate looks to Paul. Paul's like, go for it. Do your thing, man. I got you, homie. Did a little fist bump. And, was like, uh, I mean, that's his purpose. It, well, yeah, and I, Paul, again, he knows what she doesn't like. Sure. There's, there's an innate trust that, like, Paul is willing to bet everything on this on this goal. Well, I mean, the, the, he's already had this conversation beforehand. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, in a way, too. Yeah. Of like, it's nothing that he doesn't... He's not afraid to let her have this data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that this is where I think hate kind of fucks with her. Because, like, he's like, okay, and he turns. And he turns that charming smile to her. And it kind of shocks her. I'm like, oh. that's the Idaho right there. I think it's the, the suave like, guy. I don't like it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And he tells her, and I, I don't really know fully what to make of this, of an offer is only as good as the real thing it buys. The exchange here is life for a life, a high order of business. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just flowery words, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we really say anything. Aaliyah speaks up, though, and because uh, there's an exchange here. She's like, all right, well, what else is hidden in this bargain? And the, we get this moment of it mentions her coppery hair. And I love those words where it's like the little Jessica. Yeah. Because, like, we've had no Jessica this whole book. Like, mm-hmm. Aaliyah is meant to kind of fill that role. Uh, and that's where I get this aspect of, like, she's protecting the house while Paul is protecting his family. Mm. Sort of the same dynamic we had last oh. time. So now we get to this bit of uh, the Reverend Mother, uh, guys, Helen. We uh, get a great insight as to what it's like to actually have these memories inside of you. Uh, as well as, uh, do we get to, oh, we get to the Aaliyah part when they make eye contact after this. Sure. Uh, they have their, their little reverend mother moment. But the reverend mother refused to look at Aaliyah. But the words burned in her mind. Yes, far deeper imp- implications lay here. The sister was an abomination true. But there could be no denying her status as a reverend mother with all the title implied. Gaius Helen Mahayam felt herself in the instant to be not one single person, but all the others who sat like tiny congrees in her memory. They were all alert, every reverend mother she had absorbed in becoming a priestess of the sisterhood. Aaliyah would be standing in the same situation here. Oh, my God. So I think that's one of the first times we've talked about, like, all the memories in your head. I think sure. one of the time they all reacted to something. But now you can know, like, in these tense moments, like, they're all there. You know, all the, like, ancient Benny Gesserit present and all the ancient Fremen Reverend Mothers present. Right, for Aaliyah. For kind Aaliyah. Of deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, no, even more than that. Uh, right? No, uh, with the Romalo thing, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, hey, I, 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 I don't really know. know how to ballpark that one for you. Because Jessica can't look back into her own bloodline, can she? Uh, no, she can't. She can't do her male. Okay, gotcha. she can do her female lineage going back. So then, and, would that mean that Aaliyah has access to all of uh, Gaius Helen Mahaim's background as well? Well, so presumably, again, presumably. that is encyclopedia. I think this chapter maybe bears the. Um, starkest evidence of like how she wouldn't be the grandmother sure where like we get no illusion with like all of them packed into a room sure especially when her and Aaliyah lock eyes and become one person that would be the moment where like something should have come up uh so i, I think you definitely get to be like yeah there's nothing here but uh we gotta lean on the encyclopedia like i want that to be grandma sure i love the dynamic of her was it, wait is that just from the encyclopedia or yeah i thought you said that was from uh like a, a book down the road. The explanation is via a oh. book down the road in the encyclopedia. Okay. All gotcha. setting in the universe. Okay. Like, okay. It, they're the one who irons it out. And then it's a, I think you get an insinuation in Children of Dune somewhere. But we'll have to dig that one out as we get sure. there. So answering Aaliyah's question, Hate chimes in. Because again, like what is hidden in this bargain? Mm-hmm. So he says, well, why haven't the witches used the Tlaxlu methods? And it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah, like, why haven't you guys? Like, it would be so easy just mm-hmm. to go down this road. 
Why don't they do that? And for a brief moment, though, we're going to switch. We jump into Paul's point of view. It's like we have a lot of heads here. Mm-hmm. And this one is just to like let you know how emotionally shattered he is at this moment. Yeah. It's very strange. He like looks around the room. The emotional play makes everyone uh, feel like a stranger to him. He feels so alone. Even Aaliyah is a stranger to him right now. Wow. And that's, I kind of chalk that up to like, again, what he's fighting for is so personal. When he looks around, no one else is like in the same battle he's is, right? Mm. Like they all have these, they're worried about the Talaxlu and these plans and that plan. And Paul's like, I'm worried about Cheney and that's it. I'm here to bargain for Cheney's life. That's all. That's his highest concern in the universe that's right now. That's brutal. No one else is on the same page as him. Stilgar is worried about whatever Stilgar is. He, you know, goal is his own thing. Um, with this exchange going on around him, though, uh, after Aaliyah challenges, what would result uh, from the Bene Gesserits having these Atreides genes? And she's like, you know, what would happen if they're cast into the Bene Gesserit River? You know, we don't know where it's going to take them. Mm-hmm. Guy as hell is like, the hell you don't. She whips around. They stare in the eyes. I'm like, we get like a wizard fight right here. They become, they basically go a little simpatico and they share one thought. And like, it just lists these out. I like to imagine this is just like one thing slapping kind of back and forth between their minds of like, uh, they start commuting on this single thought. What lay behind Tlaxu action? The Gola was a Tlaxu thing. Had he put this plan in Paul's mind? Would Paul attempt to bargain with the Bene Tlilax? And then Guy's telling she's got to break away. She feels ambivalent ideas and emotions and, uh, I'm sorry, she's has this feeling of ambivalent idea and emotions and an inadequacy to Aaliyah's powers. Damn. So, like, it just hits her of, like, she kind of doesn't give a shit what happens, ultimately, with mm-hmm. Paul and the Tlilax loot herself. Like, I'm not that invested in this. And then this dealing with Aaliyah is a little much. She has to recoil mm. back. So like, that's the moment where I feel like if we were going to have any relation come up, we would, we would say something, something there. there maybe. How do you not? Um, but again, the humility there, how much she has to admit, these, these other Atreides are beyond me. Uh, and then she even has to admit to herself how tempting controlled mutations that the Talaxley do, how tempting that would be, how tempting it is. And just, but, she asked herself, like, do they really do it? And I'm like, if you had the real answer, I mean, I, w- I think I'd push you even more so. I probably would. It's, it's, Although, no, I mean, like, I bet those uh, those made-to-order Kulisa Chataraksa, they come with little extra something built into them, too. Well, again, they only made the one. And, well, you from that one, that's where Saitel learned that lesson that somebody would destroy themselves rather than turn to the opposite. Sure. That's derived from their breeding of that hot rock that looked and was like, Nope. Poof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we just, we always got to make out what we can from it. Now she, uh, guys, Helen realizes the, she really prizes the work. The sisterhood has put into the Atreides line, right? Mm-hmm. We kind of, uh, epitomize it as their, their magnum opus the whole mm. way through. And I like this metaphor she makes for it, uh, this imagery of a, that Paul was the apex of a pyramid of work, essentially. Now, Mike, if you look at the cover of that book, yeah, you will see a man atop an ah. apex of a pyramid-like shape. There you go. I don't think that's a coincidence. No, definitely not. It's the 2019 paperback cover. Uh, so Paul asks again, like, look, 
Irulan, artificial last deal. Are you listening? You've been quiet for a little while right now. Uh, and she's like, I- I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, she's got a lot to think about, admittedly. You know what? And she is both cruel and brilliant, even in a pinch. I was like, you made me wait. I'm going to make you wait. Well, I just love, so she knows that Cheney is like the cost here. Mm-hmm. All this. She she had to pick this all up on in the get-go. I was sure. She just learned she's pregnant. Knowing she's pregnant, she has this extra life in her. She's like, oh, the value of Cheney just went up. How much is he willing to pay for her? Right. And I'm like, yes, you have no room to fucking bargain, but you're doing it. You found something. I love it. She hones in on Paul's greatest weakness. And you want to know what, Mike? It's the same one Jessica had. Oh. Yeah. I think there's a familiarity here, too. Tricky trade. And now she's bending that same weakness that she knows he inherited from his mother. Damn. He can't break away from it. Um, so she asks him, will he accept a cross with Aaliyah? There's an odd uh, play for, or, um, I think this this causes him to flush, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry if you got the text right there. Let's see here. Uh... And that Aaliyah doesn't quite catch the meaning of it. He sees like it doesn't play past her. <laughs> uh and it just sort of like that passes. There's an odd play for time where Guy Stellan brings up Irulan. And Paul's just like, she's going to do whatever you tell her to do. Back to the matter at hand. Okay. Right. She's like, and Guy Stellan doesn't even pursue that one. Yeah, like, yep, yep. All right. Well, I tried. I tried. Uh, so then Guy Stellan goes for it. And she tells him like, ah, but there are two Atreides. So I'm like, this is the point where it gets yeah, yeah. And this makes Paul blush because he understands how her mind works. She, He knows exactly where he she's going. He knows what she's saying. Mm-hmm. So now we get to this next exchange. I kind of had a question for you. Of what do you think this really means when they're talking about Irulan? And it comes down to Mohayim's thought that she's a divided coin. But let me start with uh, what she asked. Which she asked them what Paul asked. Mm. She said, you just use Irulan to gain your own ends, eh? She asked. Wasn't she trained to be used? Oh, Paul asked. Is, the, is that what you use her for? Right. And then it continues. And we trained her. That's what he's saying, Mahayim thought. Well, Irulan's a divided coin. Was there another way to spend such a coin? Oh, that's like another way to spend such a coin. Like, what does she mean by that? Is it that because she's divided between her, like the Bene Gesserit and Paul, that it has to be spent on both of them or? Not necessarily. Like, what What do you think? I'm, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, like maybe she, in a way she's a bargaining chip towards uh, a different one of these powers. Oh, so you think she's entered, but like, so Irulan's a divided coin. Was there another way to spend such a coin? You think, or she's trying to think of other ways to use it or? Maybe. Maybe it's not in barter. Maybe like uh, I, I feel like it's a rhetorical question. It's sure. kind of where I'm leaning or, or where I end up with it. I don't know. For free. And that's why I was kind of left in a confusion. I think the like, point is that she doesn't know either. Mm-hmm. Kind of at a loss of just like. If guys tell them I can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, Derek. Just like we got to throw it away. Yeah. Um. Well, we got to go uh, after that, Mike. It's just back to who's throne? Paul's throne. <laughs> <laughs> And like we keep these little bits that have to keep coming up. That's like the third time he tells her he's thrown. Oh is. my god! Uh, now with this, Paul does look back at Aaliyah in this moment. And again, so she was a stranger last time. He was kind of looking around. He looks at her now. Her eyes are closed. He's unsure who she communes with. This is another something that is different between them. 
and it's dividing them further still. But another question of like, hey, what are Aaliyah's powers? We still don't really know. <laughs> no one really. Like, guys, family conversations need to happen. They're really important. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be this hard. Uh, guys telling though, she's like, all right, I need to debate with Wallach 9. And Paul's just like, saw that coming. All right, Jesus. Uh, cautions her not to take long. And now the Gola cuts in with an important question. Will you bargain with the Bene Chilaks? His voice, a sharp intrusion. Aaliyah's eyes popped open and she stared at the Gola as though she'd been wakened by a dangerous intruder. Mm. And again, that's where her mind, Aaliyah has been focused on the Tlilaks for this. Gola brings it up. Hate wants to know. Yeah. I wish we knew what Stilgar was thinking right now. He's the only one who we don't get a quick shot of like, how are you reacting to this? <laughs> the important ones are all in there. Paul tells him, I've not decided. That's not a no. He will, however, go into the desert so his child will be born in Siege. Ah. Stilgar's like, ding, ding, I approve. <clears throat> Stilgar approves this message. Definitely got to go back to yeah. Siege. So, Mike, are we going back to Siege Tabar? I think we might be going back to Siege Tabar. That's going to be good. He's riding a worm. Oh, I better. Now, would they need to? Couldn't they just use a thopter? Um, I mean, at this point, we could probably do whatever we wanted. That's true. Uh, we'll probably take a thopter for speed. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but I don't know if, it, unless there's like a religious ramification, but pretty much however Paul wants to go, he, he's sure. safe to go. It's his planet. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaliyah is screaming in her mind at this point. In every cell of her body, Paul must know already. Ooh. This is wrong. Stilgar is wrong. Don't go to Siech Tabar. Now, why is she having that thought? I don't know. Why isn't she saying it aloud? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's having this thought because she's looked in prescience. Oh. So, she's not wrong. She's wrong in her assumption of, like, Paul doesn't know what he's doing or Paul's making a wrong decision. She's not willing to accept that Paul has made this decision. If we can reach back to Irulan's quote, some, you know, some lies are easier to believe than the truth. Oh, The truth is right in front of her, right? She mm-hmm. saw it with her own eyes and whatever vision. She can't accept it, though. That that can't be. It's got to be something else. Like, you want it to be something else, so you change your perception. Oh, man. How is she able to see this, too? Like, is she unaffected by the muddying? No, no, no. She w- So I think... Uh, I, w- I would think she would have seen this a while ago. Okay. Kind of like... You remember how, like, throughout Dune, Paul, even when he got in muddied times, he'd be like, I knew these a couple events, if they okay. happened, were really red flags. Like, oh, no, I'm on this path, because I remember seeing I think it's something like that. But sure. who knows what Aaliyah's powers are, Mike? I don't anymore. That's true. It could true. be anything. Um, what she wants to know, though, and she asked uh, Paul if the Tylax have made an offer. She notes Guy's Helen is hanging on this handsome. Mm-hmm. Just like, am <laughs> leaning in as far as she can. Uh, don't worry about that phone call to Wallach 9. Uh, <laughs> Paul says no. Uh, and then he has still got arranged the comms for Guy's Helen Mahayim. Paul doesn't have the same concerns the other two. He's not worried about the Benny Lilacs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really see why Aaliyah is grasping for that. He's sure. like, oh, sweet sister, you've missed it. You know, it's it's right in front of you. But, all right, I, I'm not here to tell you. But with this, because uh, I said we're going to set up the comms, Stilgar is going to leave with guys Hela Mahayim. So now we're down to the siblings and hate in the throne room. 
on this fateful day. Because we got to do some sibling talk now. Sure, yeah. Paul senses that Aaliyah, she's got questions for him. Everything that's burning in her mind, she isn't going to say that in front of especially guys, Helen, and maybe mm. not in front of Stilgar either. These like worries and concerns of prescience. Uh, she instead, though, turns and talks to the Gola, and she asks him is uh, if the Tlaxley will bid for favor with Paul. And Ooh. he gives her a hate answer. No real answer. Some flowery mm. words. Uh, and Paul sees that, like, oh, you don't see the same future I do, sister. He, this is just internal to him. Uh, and if, uh, if the Tlaxlu, though, if they won't bid for favor, what does Paul see the Tlaxlu doing? I don't know. Just that note of, like, oh, that's the wrong future, sister. They're going to do something. They don't bid for my favor, though. You don't want to take a stab? This is ultimately where you think Sightail is going with its operation. His, like, side conspiracy, if you will. Yeah. We know what the Bene Gesserit side conspiracy is now. It's bundled up with Irulan. I mean, I think his idea is he knows that hate is somehow... I mean, he was made by the Tlaxu. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about hate that they're trying to, like, leverage on him. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think he knows what it is precisely. No, he's Otherwise definitely he confounded by done something. Yeah, he is like he knows it's not like physical. It's not like hate's gonna stab him. Right. Like he's like I, I could drop this man in a second, but then like maybe soften him or like definitely. weaken and him. And he, it's emotionally. like he's aware that that's happening, but he also is leaning into it. Yeah, he can't help it. He's right. In, uh, Duncan's just so charming. <sighs> hate is like a little crutch for him right now. Yeah. Yeah. Making it like a bigger and bigger crutch each day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's becoming dependent. I think he, I mean, honestly, these are all decisions Paul could come to himself. I think he just talks to Hate and asks Hate for his opinion just to have like that friendly face and voice. Yeah, and well, Hate is uniquely non biased. True. You know, like, yes, given from the Tlylax, but clearly not. Uh, part of the Tlilac sure. and he's aware of it. He has the Mentat. Mm-hmm. Like that Mentat quality is probably, uh, I think, yeah, just perfect. It's the perfect companion Paul needed, really. He can't rely on Stilgar. He can't rely on Aaliyah. You've given him something he can like confide in and rely something on. Something that they made, something that there might be secrets in. Oh, there definitely are secrets in. Yeah. No one fucking knows. One day we'll get to the bottom of him. Uh, Paul's mind is wandering, though all over the place he can't even follow the conversation uh as it's happening at this point and again i think we're kind of in the shadow of that spice dose from last chapter sure sort of that lingering high maybe is kind of on him and he was just like keeping himself as focused as can be to do that bargaining uh but he just catches bits about like play laxly data doubt little snippets coming Mm. through he starts crying at some point. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, keep it together. He's not doing well, Mike. Oh, no. This is manic Lado kind of moment. And he looks over at Aaliyah. And this felt like a, almost like a sad goodbye for me uh, from, like, Paul's perspective, right? Oh. He's, just, he's just crying. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, no, continue. Uh, he goes, Paul turned, looked at his sister, caught her attention. He knew she would see the tears on his face and wonder at them. Let her wonder. Wondering was a kindness now. He glanced at the Gola, seeing only Duncan Idaho, despite the metallic eyes. 
Sorrow and compassion ward in Paul. What might those metal eyes record? How do you how do you like that a uh, little bit in there? Let's go with starting with Paul crying, looking mm-hmm. at his sister. Let her wonder. Wondering was a kindness now. Oh. Part of that is just well, like you can't look in the future anymore. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can reassure you with. So like maybe it's better you don't know if you're yeah. not if you're not a hundred percent. So in true Atreides fashion, we just don't talk. Nope. <laughs> he hasn't told anybody. He hasn't told Cheney about how he's chosen this fate for her. He hasn't yeah. told Aaliyah. Like, yeah, no wonder that's Jessica little, left. That's a little messed up. I think he should have at least spoken with Cheney about it. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, that should be Cheney's choice, ultimately. Yeah, Mike, that's going to be a, a point we'll get to. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah think, or she, you know, I, you know I, I think he should have a say. Because, again, he loses her. Like, sure. Out entirely, but yeah, I think she should have a bigger say. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe 80-20. <laughs> I think, uh, okay, well. Going on, though, we also get leaning into Duncan Idaho and those metal eyes. I love this ending of, like, what might those metal eyes record? Are they actually recording stuff? Never even entertained the notion, did you? Well, no, I, I considered it earlier because we did talk about, oh, like. Oh, Otham's, or yeah. Farouk's son. Yeah, Farouk's son talking things. about, like, oh, yes. yeah, like, it's a, uh superstition that like yo know, the middle eyes like you don't know what's inside of them you don't know what's going on this would be definitely a big no no technology mm-hmm. like i think that's uh pretty anti uh butlerian right there uh no the middle eyes yeah nope uh it doesn't cross the butlerian it is a little taboo okay it's just taboo on like man like machine but not that the tech is too advanced which i agree is weird but I get you, you like, uh, I kind of rely that any sufficient technology in this is analog in some fashion. I'm willing to bet that to like nerves. Yeah. What it ties into everything that hate sees is being recorded, but hate doesn't know it. Well, or at least like somebody's tapping in kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of hunter seeker wise. Could be, mm. could be. We don't really, I mean, Frank doesn't deal with like transmitters much. Mm hmm. As far as I just mean like radio signals and stuff, you oh. know, even the, uh, you know, the Sato car could only train, you know, everything that communicates is very limited outside of the Holtzman effect. Sure. Uh, so I, I don't get the sense of like the recording could really go anywhere without like somebody having to physically take it. Um, well, um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's just a tech we haven't, this is your first time. Yeah. We'll have to see. Uh, the metal eyes, though, they move his mind, me and Paul's, to the OC Bible. And Ooh. he thinks of, we I brought oh. this up in the very first, uh, I think, the opening introduction, we talked about metal eyes and stuff. Right. And I said there was going to be a big theme. We talked about the OC Bible. What things could I not know? This is Juana, Juana's quote. Exactly. And so, because it's Juana's quote, inevitably, Paul can't help but be thinking of Yui in this moment. Oh, God, you're right. Like, how could that, if he's going to that specific quote, he learned that quote. We know firsthand he had never read it before from that moment with Yui, and it caused such an emotional reaction with Yui. How could that not, like, scar you as a child? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the last times you saw that man before you learned he had, you know, completely sold out your house. No, no, that's not what Paul learned. He saved his house. Yui is a, oh, okay, he's a right, hero right. for Paul. That's true. That's fair. I don't think Paul ever saw him as a villain. That's 
a good point. Even though, like, he's personified as a villain in history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, you know, he did terrible things, but I think Paul would understand the whole way through. Well, because he would, he would been able to see the bigger picture. Exactly. Because he can't. I mean, he can't really he can't see it smaller. See it. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see the single frame. But maybe you're right. I think that's a really good point, Alan. I didn't consider the anonymity Paul would have, and there just isn't any. Yeah. Yeah. No. If anything, I think just love. Just a kind of on that you Atreides love for your uh subordinates. I mean and but so I wanted to just, uh hit up that we would be in uh superimposing Yui on hate in this moment. Oh. Well we know hate's the betrayer. Sure, sure. In in like that dual role, we're told in the beginning, oh, this is the one who will be your undoing, which sure. is what Yui was to Leto in a lot of ways, though not told to Leto, but just a, another parallel there. You you seem like you just had a thought, though, before I mentioned that. No, because I, I was almost uh, superimposing uh, Yui onto Paul in that situation. Okay. Where, yeah. like, Paul's going to have to make a choice and maybe turn his uh, his back on the throne in order to save what he loves. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I see where make, you're going make, with make, make the sacrifice himself. Oh, so good. But I just love you pop, popping up a little moment there, and then uh, we get to our last uh, paragraph in this chapter here. And Aaliyah crossed to her brother, sensing his utter sadness. She touched a tear on his cheek with a fremen gesture of awe. Said, "We must not grieve for those dear to us before their passing. Before their passing." Paul whispered, tell me, little sister, what is before? <laughs> oh, that's really sad. Yeah, very much. And I get, oh, you know, we came out of that guy's Helen bit. Remember when guy's Helen brought him back in for the second chapter is sit in front of me, little brother. Yeah. I don't think just calling her little sister there in that mm-hmm. way. Maybe a little bit of there, but I love the what is before cause and effect. Everything is like. I mean, it's hard to live in the present the when you live like in the future and past simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And it, I think this is what we get to look back to in the first book was Cheney telling Paul the same thing. Like you mourn the dead before they're passing. Mm-hmm. It's like you're killing them basically. Oh let, God. Let them live their lives until I, they've died. Good poll. That's yeah. really good. That's where I think that's where we're back. But now Paul has a different perspective on yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. <now. laughs> a little he's bit. Like, he's like, everything's already happened. So yeah, we are dead. This isn't like that last thing. There isn't a there isn't a chance anymore. There was a chance all through Dune. There's not a chance in Dune Messiah. The existential crisis that Paul lives on a day to day basis is just utterly terrifying. Yeah, the existential crisis that is Paul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so um, good. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. What you got? No, I was just, just uh, like a, a lingering thought there. No, you mentioned that like, hey, it's not that hard, Atreides. Just like talk it out. Only one Atreides has done that, and he was manic when he did. Yeah, yep. No, but no, but he didn't. He didn't talk it out. He didn't. Not with Jessica. Not with Jessica. No, no. The just with his son, right? Which he then bound to secrecy, which is not talking it out. <laughs> That's true. You've just made it to like a deeper hole. <laughs> you think he gave him his pinkies like son, son, son? <laughs> yeah. I will. I will Pink- shatter your <laughs> Pink- pinky swear. <laughs> I will shatter your arm. Is that what you said? Leto goes to extremes. (laughs) I will make Gurney do it. (laughs) Yeah. 
He's gonna be sad. I'm gonna be sad. Don't fuck this up. We had problems with orphans for a while. <laughs> but let's get out of here, Mike. Let's go pay some bills. Show. That was a really cool chapter. I we got a lot of major players into the same room talking things out. Yeah, the, the like, biggest of them. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition for us as well. We got everybody with magic powers got together. Oh man, you know what else Paul saw in those metal eyes? Oh, what did you see? You... Yo, he saw Audible. Right now, we partnered with Audible, and they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com/spiceworldpod. Oh, dude, that's awesome! It's pretty awesome in those metal eyes. When you sign up, you get one credit that you can use from one thousands of titles like Doom. I'm sorry, did you say you get metal eyes? <laughs> I didn't say anything. Okay. <laughs> uh, or two credits if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account. Ooh, and what, what would you get with that second credit, Mike? Well, obviously, Doom Messiah. You gotta read along with us. Uh, one credit equals one audiobook. Does not matter the price. From then on, every month you will receive an additional credit to help you build an amazing audiobook library. And Derek, you and I are avid fans. Hell yeah. What are you listening to? I gotta have something going, Mike. And uh, every now and then I reach back and sometimes I'll find a book like that I started years ago. I'm like, oh, oh my God, I only made it like halfway through that. So this is one of those times where I spent a little credit. I'm like, I just got to get to the end this time. Uh, There's great. I love, uh, you know, several nonfiction books. It's probably like half of my bookshelf on it. Sure. This one is called Berlin, 1961. It's got a great uh, subtitle here. Kennedy, Kirchhoff, and the Most Dangerous Place on Earth. Oh. This is an amazing book, uh, and it just is going through the historical point of being in that divided Berlin in 1961. Right. And why the author centers on that year so much is that um, there was, I believe, the missile crisis gets us into there. Mm-hmm. But everybody was at, like, an election point. Uh, so, like, both the ambassadors for East Berlin and West Berlin, they were both in an election season. Kennedy was in an election season. Kirchhoff was in an election season. So they all just had these crazy influences, you know, from domestic affairs that were having an influence on this foreign affair. Oh. And it just heightened the tension in Berlin to, a, like, an almost untenable situation. And this is, you know, setting the table for the Cold War sure, to go sure. from that point on. Reflecting back... This also would have been that time period of, like, leading up to Doom. Oh, you're right. We come out, what was it, 65 is going to be that first book for it. This is all, like, in just in the rearview mirror, just recent history to Frank while he's writing at that time. So, guys, if you want to get in Frank's mindset and know what the world is like <laughs> a little bit, Berlin, 1961 by Frederick Kemp. That is pretty awesome. But, Derek, 30 oh. days are up. What if you don't like Audible? Ah, you're probably going to have the same thing happen to you that happened to me. Oh. I got woken up in the middle of the night. I was, you know, just sleeping solitary like I do. They marched me, Mike. It's the biggest building I've ever been in. And just days and days. We walk and walk and walk. You finally get into a room. Giant room. Massive room. You go all the way up. Jeff Bezos is on this throne. <laughs> he hands down to me, Mike, a little slip of paper. It said 30 days. <laughs> He's like, it's going to take me 30 days to get out of here. <laughs> so I got charged twice, but oh, no. they're sending emails now. So you don't have to do that walk. That's so fantastic. And basically the time it takes me to walk back is the time <laughs> you have to cancel your account before you get charged. That's so rough. But hey, even if you do cancel your account, you still get to keep your entire audiobook library. Continue listening anytime you want. Any original you added in there. It's all yours for life. And hey, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. 
We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So get out there, pick up a free book, let us know which one you got, send us your recommendations after you've gone to audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Excellent. Let's get into it. Ooh, we got to dive into San Francisco, Mike. Ooh. All right, Mike, we've been spending a lot of time in the year 101. What are we even on now? Oh, I don't know. We were at 101.93, two years after the negotiations, but so, I think it's 12 years after that point. Yeah, so like... It's a one... Oh, it's a two in there now. Yeah, 102.10? We're in the year 10,205? Yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue like 101.91. No, nope, no, not at all. I love the old I don't one. like that. Nope. We will never say it again. So, let's go back in time. <laughs> sure. Fuck it. We're going back to the year 2068, Mike. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, so, deep uh, digging into the definitive guide to the life work of science fiction's greatest creator, Frank Herbert, the maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Is that the entire title? So, I think that top part is just, like, words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I th- believe we want the maker of Dune. Yeah, okay. By Tim O'Reilly. <laughs> the top part is just words. It's just words. Uh, but so in this is another really cool article. This one is Frank speculating on where San Francisco is going to be 100 years from his writing. Mm. What we get to cone in on, though, kind of like we just did for this uh, audible dive here in the 60s, is uh, he's writing this article in 1968. Dune Messiah came out in 1969. So I just love this is right in. He's writing this while he was at least working on this book or a contemporary to it. So in this, Mike, we go through a a few different stages and we're just going to kind of evaluate you and I, how far along his prophecy are we? So like we're 40% of the way. He's doing this in 68. We're uh, 2068. It's 2020 right now. Sure. You know, right along, almost halfway. So let's see uh, how close to the future we've gotten or how far off he's missed the okay. mark kind okay. of deal. I'll say, though, like, not bad, Frank. Not bad. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got this a little bit. I don't know. The submarine stuff, like, last week. Submarine was, yeah, the, the old continental shelf. Yeah. Uh, submarines were just how you get there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Australia being a superpower didn't work out. No. Didn't work out. Uh, but all of this. It's 20, 2068 A.D. A bold uh, look 100 years into an exciting future. Mm. Now, imagine, you're a later-day Buck Rogers. <laughs> and I think, I think this is why I really love Frank's writing. God, he, he writes in his time. He's like, you you got this, right? Buck Rogers, that's right up your alley, kid. You've just been awakened in a strange apartment by a voice coming from an instrument like a block of crystal without visible works. The voice says, Morning, Patties, Spring Day, 10th of July, 2068. You sit bold upright. Did he just say, July 2068? 2068? Did he set Alexa to Irish mode? I guess, well, I, I guess they've won. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it's even in, like, uh, written slang-wise, like, M-O-R-N-G. Oh, my God. Marn. I thought you were just, like, going for it. Nope. Oh, I would never, Mike. I would never be so bold. Uh, only if he starts listing states' names. <laughs> like, when you say New York, I say New York. Uh, this continues. Words swim in the crystal block, which is about eight inches square. Despite abbreviated writing, you make out that the words instruct you on how to set this resonator 
for morning call. Outside the window, on what looks like a window, although it has controls reminiscent of a TV, is indeed Midsummer 2068. You've had a 100-year nap, and there's a new city to explore. Let's explore it together. Your guides are Bay Area science fiction writers circa 1968, whose predictions are combined here. Please try to keep your good temper. It's true that the machinery and way of life in 2068 appear frighteningly strange, but imagine your grandfather's judgment of your 1968. You don't wear enough clothes for decency. You don't need all that speed. Let's take the tour first. <laughs> now, there was a speed problem in the 60s in San Francisco. So, was like, there? I don't think he means fast. He might mean the drugs. Oh, God. Do you say you don't need that speed or you don't need that much speed? So they were, they were still doing is, speed. Is that, is that the context? No, it, yeah. is, it is you don't need that speed. So oh, okay. could mean fast cars. Okay. Like, okay. Both, both seem applicable. Sure, sure. Going from 1868, like, you know. Now, we're going to start, Mike. So that was in, so I guess already, so that was the room. I think if we're just going like 100 years in the future, the crystal block oh, that yeah. is basically like a touchscreen kind of thing. That's Alexa, like you already hit yeah. on. We're kind of he had TV controls on the, um, on the window on the window. Thank you. Uh, we already have like smart mirrors yeah. in your bathroom and yeah, stuff, I've or that those. one that like dresses you. So I'm like, I think that one 100 percent nailed it. Sure. If anything, undersold where we're gonna be sure, in, your, sure. in your house. Let's head out to the bay. Okay, filling the shoals with garbage. Conservation versus population. This is like the subheader for sure. The bay. Sure. So, potato patch shoals and the great behind. <laughs> You know, lost potato patch. Oh, Frank. <laughs> potato patch shoals and the great bars south shoals, which claimed so many lives and ships are no more. Covered by a uh, fill that has created a new golden gate far outside the old one. But the sheltered waters of the new bay are at least as large as in 1968, thanks to a 1967 invention by a Japanese, Kunutoshi Tetsuka who also invented the device which turns old auto bodies into lumps of metal. So, he created the car crusher. Sure. We're going to do something else with the car crusher. Okay. He solved San Francisco's garbage problem while, at, uh, while adding about 10% to the city's real estate. Garbage of the 21st century is compressed into impermeable 20-ton blocks, <laughs> barged into the shallows, and sunk to create new land. Phil can be seen also on the east shore, where the shallows out to about three fathom line have been filled from the Richmond terminals on the north to San Jose on the south. El Cerrito Hill sits far inland. Almeida's ports areas and the government islands are many times their size from 1968. The 1968 conservationists may rage at this, but the trend precedes 1968. All of your guides on this tour through time, despite frequently expressed hopes that men won't destroy their environment, tempered their predictions with pessimism based on mankind's past performance. Some natural wonders have been preserved for 2068, but not until much had been lost. The 21st century conservationist raging at the excesses of the past brought on largely by population pressures has a special word, unprintable. <laughs> of contempt for 20th, 20th century families with more than three children. He considers it a major victory 
that the Lost Bay shrimp have been restocked and are thriving, and that population control is a major conservation plank of the new age. So the shrimp are thriving because we dumped garbage into their home. Well, no, no, uh, that we, we've come back into fixing things. The point of the garbage mm-hmm. is that we're crushing them into impermeable blocks so they don't let out any toxins or any, sort of sure. like, remember when we talked about the stabilized metals mm-hmm. for the bridge and stuff? You're doing something like that. And then they've basically filled out a whole area of the bay and it is just land. Sure, and, yeah. And that's how we're like that's using how, our uh, garbage. That's how Portland formed its uh, uh, new old port. Do we fill in a bay with garbage? Yeah. That's revolting. Well, no. Portland burned down like three or four times. So like the, after the first time, we took all that uh, refuse and uh, debris. We put it towards the bay and we uh, extended Portland out. Oh, oh. That is way, wait. That is very different from garbage. Okay. <laughs> Rubble and like solid. <laughs> Rubble. Mike, we're talking like diapers and just tr- <laughs> that's fair, fucking that's fair. trash. That's fair. Yes. Uh, that's a good. Yeah. We've done. We've always been able to do sure. stuff like this. Like that's what he, where he's taking. It's not a fully original idea. I love the concept of it. It's definitely not something San Francisco has taken up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of looking into, at first I thought this, grass, this trash contraption, compaction was a real technology. Sure. Not that he was ripping from the car contraption. Just be like, oh, well, if we crush cars, we can make blocks of trash. Let's go. Sure. I'm like, I get that line. I wanted the trash to be real. Mm-hmm. And I ended up just finding a kind of paper going through of trash compaction in general. You only do it in a dump as much as you economically need to to make that dump profitable. Oh. Meaning, if you're going to make a profit without, you know, by only making these smaller, slightly compacted blocks, that's all you're going to do. Because it costs money to compact. The sure. E- the energy yeah. is just in there. It's not, you can't make a balancing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, without government regulation interceding, we can't make Frank's idea come true. Like, the market forces won't drive us there. Sure. But it's like, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. I love the idea. Already we do um, like landfills. Obviously we pave over. Sure. Eventually that becomes uh, real estate. Mm. Uh, it's terrible land, but sure, like, sure. what else are we going to do with it? Uh, and then I love this point. Yeah, the, the conservationists that would rage at the whole idea too. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you guys don't understand where we're at in 2068. <laughs> so back off. And you're not looking at the past and all the terrible things you've done. We go on to our next section, Mike. Sure. Transportation. Atomic shuttles from space and high-speed cargo sailboats. <laughs> yeah. You didn't think spaceships and sailboats? <laughs> now, Mike, you've noticed that the skimmer copter taking us on this tour burns ammonia, not petroleum. Its exhaust is a nitrogen and water vapor, fitting to the general ecological awareness that's belatedly cleaning up Earth's air and water. Oh, Maybe. Hey, we still got 40 years to go. You know, but honestly, it's just, it's the same daydream. Sure. That our generation, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're burning it now, but like, it's water in the future. <laughs> <laughs> One day, and then we're going to make up for all of it. <laughs> um, so we're, we're just burning this up. And now, those are, uh, and if you look at Sky Mike, those aren't just big airplanes. They're atomic-powered shuttle ships, each bringing about 1,000 commuters from Space Station San Francisco. Space Station San Francisco. The station's orbit holds it permanently above the city, about 300 miles above. So it's in geostationary orbit. Sure, sure. And they're on the equator there. Residents there think of themselves as San Franciscans. 
Their trip down to the space complex east of Mount Diablo. Note the homing beacon on top of the tower at Diablo's <laughs> Peak. <laughs> and the fast skimmer copter run to the city are a bore strictly routine. Waters of the old bay and new appear at times almost covered with commercial and sport craft, which must hold to definite lanes. Most bay traffic is pleasure boats, many patterned after giant cargo sailing vessels, whose sails are enormously tall metal surfaces with rotating vanes. Hulls ride on bubble foils, which compress into ski surfaces at speed. Sport sailboats top 40 knots. Cargo vessels do a more conservative 30 under sail. Most liquid cargo is towed in collapsible barges by atomic submarine tugs. Okay, now, well. You lose me at the, yeah. the, the, the very last one. I'm no, like, no, you, yeah, no. I was totally bored to the. Uh, the spiraling metal sails on the cargo bolts. That one I kind of dig. I get that. The rotating veins pushing it. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Oh my god! The liquid. I don't know why it's better to bring the liquid though in collapsible barges by submarine tugs. <laughs> submarine. And I was like, does the submarine like? I guess I can see it being like the most, like some sort of a. I want to say like torque to weight ratio of just like the force it's able to like because it's fully underwater. Is it just very efficient at pulling something? I mean, I then can't a, tell you. Then maybe a boat would be. I know we need Nate here, our, yeah. our Navy boy. Well, alas, there's a fast passenger ferry system, and every bridge has at least one parallel underwater tube, even that new long span from Marin over Angel Island and Alcatraz. What isn't apparent is that these bridges carry only commercial traffic. You need a special pass to take a private vehicle over them or on one of the quote-unquote freeways, all of which are reserved for commercial use. The quote-unquote car of 2068 is equally at home on land, water, or in the air. Its only roadbeds and landing pads are created in minutes by cheap spray-on soil stabilizers. So, I, I don't know if that means you have to do a flyby and, like, paint your driveway and then come back and then land or if it just is spraying in front of your car as you go but it would probably suck the one day you run out of spray on soil stabilizer Mm -hmm. and you cannot stabilize the soil anymore most of the bay's pleasure craft dock on the san francisco side which has few commercial installations the east shore is little else but commercial except for old berkeley all of which has been taken over by the University of California, one gigantic building under a transparent roof, all sections linked by fast slide walks. Okay. Now, I just imagine, you remember the, uh, the like, pass in Futurama? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, a slide walk. It's got to be a giant slide slide walk. Well, the slide walk, that's just uh, what you see at the, uh, the airport's. Is that what a slide walk actually is? I, I don't think it's an actual name that's, for it. That obviously makes the most sense of sure. like uh, the escalator kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, stand to the right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You've the... got some bad experience. <laughs> so many, Mike. So many. Good Let God. people pass, please. <laughs> uh, I get furious. It's the worst thing in the world. Uh, many a train I've missed because of that. You know what this is sort of reminding me of is, uh, you know, the, the city, The Line? Like, that they have plans to build in Saudi Arabia? 
Uh, no, no, I don't think I do. It's it's like a hundred mile city. They want to do in like a straight line, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And like it has different layers to it. So like one layer is just for like uh, freight. Another layer is for like uh, service, uh, like service workers and everything. And then another is just like pedestrians and parks. Mm-hmm. And that's what that sort of reminded me of. It's just like these roads are just for this. Yeah, like trying to like. It's it's interesting once we get that far where we don't need the base infrastructure that you started with. Yeah. You don't need all these old roads. Like, we can make a proper grid now. It doesn't need to be organically where you came from kind of deal. I would think it would be amazing if you ever got rid of what's tethering cars to a road and you don't need cities to connect via pavement. Mm-hmm. would be like a mind mind boggling for us like imagine just that in between infrastructure being gone and well, it just being wilderness again I was going to say like how much uh how much square footage do we have out there that's like just pavement roads well you think of how big a road is yeah sure yeah and know that you can go everywhere mm-hmm. so too much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all it comes down to now let's get up to San Francisco Mike sure a giant vacation complex dotted with ethnic villages. Okay. Yeah, right? I'm okay. Frank. Like, let's expand on that last part. <laughs> I hope he means well. Now, old San Francisco has given un- uh, has given unbridled vent to its love of the past and its period restorations. In some areas, it looks as though Golden Gate Park had overflowed everything with scores of wildly different villages and isolated super buildings poking up through a maze of landscape and quaint old skyscrapers cleared of most industrial activity the city has become a gigantic vacation complex with hyper ethnic uh, architecture in such divisions as little muscovy chinatown congo center vikingstad vikingstad i thought i was going to enjoy congo center but vikingstad Zensville, the former Japanese culture center at its core. Zensville? Yeah, not that. Oh, Roma Roma? Uh, I don't know about that no, one. D- okay, you know, uh, Vienna West. And uh, the restored Barbary Coast. <laughs> okay. Oh, a Disneyized Emperor Norton walks the street. Like, if you got the Disneyized. Okay. Being Disney. Sure. Emperor Norton walks the streets, and the current uproar involves the alleged introduction of the coast of android, uh, mechanical humanoid prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, San Francisco's waterfront is almost unrecognizable by 1968 eyes. Behind the pleasure boat moorings, copies of famous coastal towns from all over the world crowd the shores. This is sort of like Paul's Keep at this point. Yeah, we just put everything in. A white-walled Italian fishing village stands hard by a a Moro coastal community from the Philippines, occupying the frontage uh, once taken by Fisherman's Wharf. You ever been down there? No. It's an awesome place. There's an old um, uh, arcade museum there. It has, like, all these old machines, and a bunch of them are, like... um, these little coin-operated machines, you put the coin in and they just all dance, and they're, but they're all toothpicks, like big toothpick uh, murals, like a whole, um, uh, like a circus goes, like a carousel and everything. They're all made by the inmates at Alcatraz. Oh, shit. They're super gnarly. But all that's gone, Mike, and these little villages are there yeah. now. You're delighted to see familiar cable cars, but delight is tempered when you learn more details. Dun, dun. 
Okay. They, run on, they run on tracks and they sound like their ancient counterparts, but they're self-powered and the sounds issue from synchronized recordings. Okay. That's how that's going to sure. be. Like, that's how we do some old-timey shit nowadays. Uh, you note the tall towers on land covering the Great Bar. These towers are topped by singing flames, another 1967 development which converts flame into an extremely high-fidelity speaker. Hey, what? <laughs> you, you said, like, oh, of course. That's what? awesome. That is pretty fucking sweet. The flames relay music and public service announcements to resonate to the surrounding area. I think we went from, like, sci-fi to high fantasy really quick here. Uh, yeah, that is, like, Eye of Sauron up yeah. there. Just like, <laughs> the weather is sunny. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, I, Sauron. <laughs> Beneath the South Tower, our pilot points out, because remember, we're in this chapter, uh-huh. is the Center for the Study of Mutations, a oh. research establishment into drug and radiation-induced genetic changes of humans. That sounds like a horror thing. <laughs> Radiation and drug-induced genetic changes. A giant center for the performing arts has been built around the San Francisco Opera House. The Opera House and many other historical buildings were restored and improved after destruction, oh, in the quake of 2021. That's kind of uncanny. (laughs) We've only got a few months left, Eric. we got to prepare. Yeah, oh, we should call somebody. Uh, this quake ignited the research which resulted in lubrication of the San Andreas Fault by pumping silicon along its entire length. What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's unravel this for a minute. First that, off, Fr- make, Frank's making X-Men up in the mountains. Yep. No, I mean, that's actually uh, beneath the South Tower. So that's just right in the center of oh, town. God, right? <laughs> but yeah. He just thinks that you can stop earthquakes if we just lubed up that fault line. She wouldn't be so crusty. <laughs> well, there's your problem. <laughs> you said. Uh, now, you know, if fault was the fault that is going to destroy the entire East Coast, it's not the San Andreas fault. It's the one that's off the coast. Oh. That's the one that's prime for like a real, a real doozy of a wallop, mm-hmm. if you will. So. so maybe we shouldn't be out on that shelf. <laughs> no, we get some lube on that shelf. Uh,. There are no more timbers, only a gradual slipping measured of a few feet per century. This is like us now that we've got the fault all lubed up. Sure. Doesn't go anywhere anymore. All right. Now, Mike, the megalopolis. <laughs> Land shafts, undersea housing, view, quote unquote, windows of far places. Our skimmer copter lifts for a long view. You're suddenly struck by the magnitude of urban development. Population pressures have transformed the Bay Area into one gigantic megalopolis, extending from Monterey, Hollister, Modesto to Yukai. Oh, I kind of know where Yukai, California is. Okay. Don't like tip my tongue there. Yukai A-A-H. I think I've only heard it phonetically. Sure. Uh, Tubes link the mainland with underwater housing on the continental shelf. Of course (laughs) they do, Frank. You got it. That's 10 years later. The other one was 58. He's still thinking about the shelf in 68. Uh, Many subdivisions are housed beneath retractable canopies. Others are combined in enormous condominiums above and beneath the land surface. Residential construction of the past 50 years has turned more and more of the region to underland and sea. 
Land shafts driving down thousands of feet enclose self-contained communities with shops and services in walking distance along speedy sli- oh, these are speedy sidewalks. Oh, these ones aren't sli- sidewalks. I wanted to say fly, but no, these are speedy sidewalks. There is no normal sidewalks anymore. View windows underground are wall-sized, three-dimensional holographic TV screens. View rental is a big business. You can have Victoria Falls, Niagara, Yosemite, Mount Rainier, Fuji, Lake Louise, the Pyramids of Giza, the Amazon jungle, the Taj Mahal, restored, or even (laughs) London streets. Residences along the waterfront boast underwater rooms with view windows open to the sea. Power is delivered by low-cost atomic units and solar batteries. As a byproduct, the portability of these energy sources brought decentralization of industry and made desalinized uh, seawater the major source of potable water. Like a row of falling dominoes, this doomed uh, and uh, this doomed the giant dams, except for those still built as flood control. Okay, that was a lot as well. Yes, well, just that last part is basically because uh, so we have a uh, twofold why we build dams, right? Sure. One, a reservoir of water. Sure. Other things are to mitigate flood damage uh, in places where, like, you have region or annual kind of flooding. Sure, and we there's can... also hydroelectric. Well, that's going to be, that's the benefit you reap off of both of those. Sure. Like, uh, yeah, that's always just like a, hey, why not? Uh, but, like, your main purpose is going to be one of the two to decide where you place the dam. Sure. Uh, and to get the most out of it. Uh, but I love that he does cone in on uh, the desalinization of seawater is, like, that's our holy grail for human society. We need two things. Like, we need universal power. We really got to figure out how to get unlimited water. Yeah. And the water is honestly more important than the power, but we need the power to probably do the water because it takes so much energy to do mm-hmm. it, and we have no good systems for it. Uh, and it's it's so taunting with all that water right there. And we can't drink it. We're going to run out so soon, Mike, if we don't figure this out. But hopefully it'll be just past our lifetime. We'll kick this off to the next <laughs> Hopefully one. just past, past the buck. Hey, that's all we got to do. That's all we got to make it. Oh, my God. Then it's someone else's problem. Um, I do feel like he is um, not addressing the disparities of, like, living underground. Does not <laughs> seem like that's exactly where the first class society is going to go to. <laughs> where your only view of the world is, uh, yeah, you got a hologram. That's good enough. It's practically right there. You might as well, but we don't even have to let you guys up. I don't know why we're doing that. Oh, I mean, this is uh, 68, so this is before everyone's got, like, a personal computer mm-hmm. and sort of has has access to this tech in a way. What do, you, what do you mean? I mean, like, if you wanted to, you could hook up your TV over there to your computer and just Google, like, give me a video of, like, the Bahamas. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, of just, like, you think that, of why he thinks it's a satisfactory amount of entertainment? Yeah. Got you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you just need a picture on a wall, right? And it moves. Aren't yeah. you happy? <laughs> I, I think you... you if are... the last year it told me anything, that's that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. I think you're kind of right there of, like, the... Uh, I would have a different perception of the needs and stuff for it, mm-hmm. but... I, I just totally see, like, a dystopian society growing out of this, where this is clearly, like, oh, what was that? Uh, Altered Carbon. Oh, yeah. It was that great show on Netflix, and it had that society where we're on Earth. We built so much that all the towers go up into the sky, and basically sure. only the bottom people live down on this earth. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's somebody lives up in the clouds and never even thinks of the people below them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be what this is kind of like. Right. Um, 
I got uh, one last section, I think, for us to go into, and sure. then we're out of here. How people live, Baroque costumes, sonic baths, and sharply controlled computers. Baroque costumes. <laughs> you know he's going to touch on <laughs> Grove's clothing, for sure. Dramatic as these... Ch- and I'm like, Frank, of all people, I don't need to tell me about fashion. It's going to be you, man. It's going to be you. Dramatic as these changes appear. The really striking change of the 21st century are organizational. In the ways people live as individuals and societies. This is a hedonistic, laissez-faire age. The age of the eight-hour week. It allows for wide differences of opinion, judgments, and ways of life. Prominent in the 2068 history books is the account of violence at the turn of the century when people revolted against computer control. Oh, Oh. it's living it in there. Computer stored data uh, growing out of the old National Data Center had been used to harass and persecute those whose views didn't conform with those of the majority. In the bloody revolt, most computers were destroyed, their data erased. The New Age's laws reflect jealous guarding of personal privacy. Okay, you know what? Like That's that's not too far off the cusp there as you, far as that last bit. Yeah, you went off the rails for a second. You got right back on, <laughs> like, though. Let's blame the computers He's instead like, of the people using them. So then the purge happened, right? We all killed them. We bashed our computers. Oh, no, 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 no. We bashed that one printer in office space, and then, then we agreed. Privacy laws. Hell, yeah. He's really just missing. You know what? The revolt is social media. Yeah. That might be what gets us to his end game. Um, computers remain though, and are vital. They assist in the conquest of disease and injury. Children learn to use them in the first few grades. Okay, yeah, nailed it. They're your library, your instructor, home programming or TV classes. They run your apartment, directing such chores as garbage disposal, dishwashing, cooking, lighting control, air conditioning, heating, turning and changing of view screen windows. That last one's a stretch because we don't have those, but everything, yeah, he's no, not wrong at all. Nailed it, yeah. Um, they record and store personal information, anniversaries, birthdays, business appointments, financial data. Mm-hmm. We just call mm-hmm. that Facebook. Take phone calls, accept mail via scrambler telescreen circuits. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> I was like, excuse me, what's the last one? And make your routine mathematical computations. All of them. Calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Including figuring out your income tax. A chore requiring milliseconds. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. The boxes take a long time. But <laughs> you, it in, you yeah. click submit, it's done. Uh, I mean, like, in a way, he's referring to, like, the modern smartphone. Yeah, well, I mean, it just the permea- permeation of computers into yeah. every facet of life. Yeah, which yeah. It's. That wasn't that big of a leap. I think you could see that coming from the sure, 60s, yeah. right? Uh, just being in any academic area. But I, I love it. Just hearing it listed, it's always fun to look back and having somebody like even think of where it's going to go. And like mm-hmm. obviously the view screen bit, I'm like, oh, that's a little silly. But like mm. I, I get totally where you're coming sure. from. You're right on this path. It would be so cool to be able to just like time travel to have that discussion with them be like no I'll, I'll tell you what it's real like, like you just keep telling me what you think <laughs> sure. and I'll just tell you where you're wrong and like that would just be so fun many baroque touches mark everyday life elaborate costuming for work and to announce such thing as political preference oh oh that one didn't hit no 
We don't do that. <laughs> we don't. That I wonder when did that become a thing that like anecdote of like you don't talk politics at like the dinner table or like at the oh uh, I'm not like, sure I I wonder if it's somewhere around his time or whatever just that you know after the world wars became a dicier topic Cold War era uh, we have jeweled house keys shaved and uh, painted designs on heads oh hey shit that one's good oh. all right uh, garments such as orange togas patterned with artificial crystals. Okay, yes. I'm not going to say I haven't seen one person in that. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, net tights and doublets, uh, doublets, hand embroidered by students in design at Berkeley. <laughs> okay, okay. I was like, the tights, maybe? But no, you went with the doublet of, you went full fucking feudal. What do you do with your Berkeley BA? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there. yeah, there's a number of kids. You can have uh, fresh plover eggs for breakfast, walrus steaks, orange juice, uh, pipe from Southern California. Walrus steaks. Even that, Florida (laughs) took over the orange game, bro. Oh. Uh, Communal kitchens are centers for revival of ancient cooking skills almost lost in the pre-packing era. Oh. That one might be yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're almost there. Now. Baths are sonic, using no water, requiring seconds. Music in your home comes from a library of tape banks. Nope. Nope. <laughs> even even in Dune, you knew Sugarwire was around <laughs> yeah. the corner. Come on. Um, rats, mice, fleas, and other pests have been eradicated from all living areas. Oh, we still got 40 years. <laughs> Uh, so I'm just going to assume you got that one right, Frank, for all of us. There's a National Department of Controlled Violence supervising controlled violence between consenting adults. To there, drain. there is a purge. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This, it's controlled violence. Like, the purge was, like, uncontrolled for a night. But no, this is supervising controlled violence between consenting adults. So we're bringing back duels. Pistols are done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think pistols. You're not going to get your question. I think we're we're bare knuckle boxing, Mike. <laughs> but like, we're getting a ref. <laughs> True. I think it's kind of cool to be like an arbiter to be like, look, we think there was a car accident. I think whoever beats it, it's their fault. <laughs> and have a person be like, all right, that's going to be the rule. Whoever wins this fight caused the accident or didn't, whatever. Now. Uh, and much, much more than we've dared predict, all taking up this new age's extended leisure time. Complications, troubles, these will come too. And, uh, and of course, all the predictions presuppose that our world won't become a sad smear of ashes on a desolate planet. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Oh, no, we <laughs> definitely we made it out already. You, you think so? You ever hear that point of when um, there was a uh, one Russian commander had his the like his alarms were going off saying the Americans had launched a nuke? Oh, right, right, right. And it, it was an error. He didn't know. He had to make the call in that and he, moment, and he didn't do it. And he didn't do it. I so, think that a little bit of faith should okay. always give you sure. like sure, okay. Sometimes it's really good that there's a person in the middle of something God, when it yeah. comes down to it. Other times, not so much. But like, hey. People are, I think people are inherently okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> we just shrug, like, sure. It's just like, I don't, I don't think we're evil. I'm yeah. just like, I just think we're okay. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Tesla Planet, in that event, the above tour is declared null and void. If it was a desolate oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're, you're, you're like, you're like flubbing end. your ticket over in the car. Wait a second. <laughs> the few Bay Area survivors will have fled by 2068 <laughs> into the hill pockets of, oh yeah, Mike, you're taking a dark turn here, into the hill pockets of Northern California. I almost spit up my coffee everywhere. Their small tribal units, all suspicious, very stranger, will exist on roots and berries, knocking each other on the head with wooden clubs. I didn't think he was actually going to go down that route. That's, that's how he spins out of here. But just in case they're wrong, this is what's really going to happen. Uh, I got one little uh, section we're not going to go through fully, but uh, just some authors who uh, aided to this sure. that he wants to give kind of credit to. Paul uh, Paula Anderson, P-O-U-L. Okay. Uh, he wrote the uh, Corridors of Time. Uh, one from uh, Philip K. Dick. Got to go, you know, Man in the High Castle. Uh, and then uh, J.F. McComas. Uh, ooh, and uh, is that uh, McComas was the founder and editor of the brochure, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Oh, he's a little tip of the hat to Brave New World here. Ray Nielsen in the uh, eight o'clock in the morning. Don't know what that one is. Sounds like a radio show or something. Kind of. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not familiar with the other ones on here. There. Hmm. Um, ooh, Jack Vance, Montclair, Eyes of the Overworld. I am, I've never heard of that before. Just a cool-looking title. <laughs> That's fair. I'm just seeing another one, Children of the Atom, Children of the Moon. But that is what I got for us. Uh, coming out of The Maker of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly, our little bit from Frank Herbert. That's 2068 AD. Pretty wild. I, uh, I I like your interpretation of Frank's voice. It's just, like, very uh, factual and excited at the same time. It, it's just... Um, it's the English version of the classic uh, UK announce of like <laughs> yeah. newsman of like, oh, they just landed on the English Sea. Here we go. Look <laughs> at these chaps, aren't they? Have you ever? It's always how it goes. I think Frank is always excited I, for uh, uh, the future. I like how he tries to rationalize and reason things out and sort of uh, ask himself like, what's that going to affect next because of this? Mm-hmm. Some of them I think are definitely a little outlandish for sure, but like others, he nails it like. Out of the park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, with a little bit of hubris, we get to, like, kind of uh, critique it. But certainly, I think if you or I tried to ballpark 100 years out, it would be just as silly. Because imagine, like, you or I trying to speculate, like, what is social media in 100 years? It's going to sound... It's just... It sounds silly writing it now. Sure. Writing what Twitter is going to be in 100 years is just embarrassing. (laughs) Uh, It's... We're at such a little... um, Deeper Wagrata than he was. And hey, he's still got 40 years to make it all happen. He does. He's yeah. got a little, way, a little way. And I think we're going to get there for most of it. But like, not an absurd future. No, really not cool. at all. Really rational. Pretty but good. That's all I got for that one, Mike. Well, Derek, you know what time it is then. Ooh, it's time for a very special rebroadcast of everyone's favorite distrans show that was canceled abruptly. Jay Misnomers. Jay Misnomers. <laughs> Episode 499, A Sand Trout's Not a Trout? Get the Kala out. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. I don't know why the show, it didn't make it to 500, though. He said he was going to go. He had a special mission. He's going to come back for the 500 special. And oh, no. It just got canceled. <laughs> that's so sad. So, is there something else that's going to be on instead? Oh, uh, well, replacing it on the prime time is going to be Edric's Etymology on Automatology.
I think for once, mine was a better game. <laughs> I think I don't watch that. I'd watch that. A Sandro's not a drop. Come on. All right, but Edric, right. your etymology on onomatology. Derek, each week I'm going to pick a name from the Duniverse and dive into its meaning and origins. I'm going to give you the meaning of the name and see if you can guess who it is from the books. Excellent. I, I think I got it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, what I got here, the hint is it's from uh, Arabic. And I got a couple of different meanings here because I had a hard time finding this. All right. Um, talkative, and more widely known as a lake. As what? A lake. Ooh, okay. I mean, like the name of a lake. Oh, a famous lake? Yes, famous lake. I believe uh, Middle East isn't known for its lakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> known for at least one. Though I bet you know your lake in your area. <laughs> We're like, the hell we are. <laughs> Oh man, a famous lake. Can you? I'm like, I'm gonna be nowhere for it. The lake is my best bet. Do you know what country that lake is in? Uh, yeah, I do. Can you give it that to me? Sure. I don't think you're that aware of the geography there. I, I mean, it's gonna be if I do. That's the only way I'm gonna get to it's it. It's a so. giant lake right in the middle of Iraq. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I do know. No. Wow. That's gonna just be kind of cool to learn in general. Um, a lake in Iraq. So it's an Arabic name. You said it was garrulous and talkative. Yeah, I'm not sure about those last two. That was more like I went through some translators. I'm just like, I don't get where this is coming from. Oh, okay, okay. So like I put them there tentatively. I'll definitely definitely step back from that then. I think we'll probably want a huge grain of salt with those ones. Yeah. Take some salt. Um, Oh, good name. A good Arabic name. I'm thinking I want to lean towards someone from Dune. Well, yeah, obviously. No, no, like the first. Oh, book. sure, sure. Now, you know, like, <laughs> just like, um, Derek, good, good job. I'm gonna pull up my Asimov for a second. <laughs> um, I so I want. I just wanted to reach into the first book and maybe. Uh, you get real tricky sometimes. I do get really tricky. Oh, I'm thinking like I'm gonna go with like a last name. I'm either gonna go. I want to go. Ralpha doesn't seem that Arabic to me. But I I think I'm gonna go with Ralpha. Oh, it's a weird one, but you know, I'm like, I'm really just playing the playing the name game. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, could that be could obscure that be enough sure. what you're going for? All right. But tell me, what is this lake in Iraq? Lake Tharthar. No way! <laughs> yeah. That's that's really satisfying. I knew it. <laughs> that's really satisfying. Um, known in Iraq as, oh, sorry, this is going to be a hard one. Beharat al-Tharthar-Tharon. Okay. My best, nice, best, there, there, good. Yeah, is an artificial lake opened in 1956. It's situated 100 kilometers northwest of Baghdad, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Hell yeah, yeah. And apparently, I think uh, 85 percent of like the population lives between those two rivers. That's, I mean, that's where everything started, that's, man. And yeah, that's, you know, yeah, exactly. The that's the Fertile Crescent. That's, fertile Crescent uh, in the Bible. I think uh, somebody like strode between the two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tharthar Depression was formed during the Holocene Age, mainly by karstification due to dissolving of gypsum rocks of the Fatha Formation, which is just like, I guess, the nearby area. So it's just a naturally forming uh, crater. Okay. Which is really cool. And then they filled it up with water to make a natural lake and treated it as a reservoir. Right, right. That's so cool. Of just, yeah. Just like kind of, that's so lucky mm-hmm. in exactly. a lot of ways. <laughs> like that really broke in our favor. It, uh, it covers over 2,000 square kilometers and flows from the central and eastern parts of the Sinjar Mountains and adjacent hills. 
the purpose of the lake itself is to collect the excess water of the Tigris River during flood seasons and to recharge water to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers during dry seasons. Very nice. There's that shortage of water in both rivers. I'm super glad you touched on that briefly. With the dam, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's what we do. It's really good. And you get the hydroelectric power. It's just a benefit, man. Exactly, exactly. But moreover, it also aims to wash out the salts from the stored waters in the lake by means of natural continuous draining of the stored water. Wait, say that one more time. It uh, aims to wash out the salts of the stored water. So we're also cleaning the water in a way by doing this. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I looked into some, obviously, looked for a couple other meetings that might go there. I got garrulous, talkative, boisterous. I'm like, I don't really think any of the, like, I couldn't find anything absolute on it. So I wanted to stay away from that. But I threw it in. That's fair. And I I think sometimes, like... I've had the same situation with you where, like, you're just finding resources that I'm like, I don't really trust this kind of thing for it. But I think since you found it attached to the land in so many places, like, we might as well focus on that for exactly. the rock formation and, like, exactly. rely of, like, that will be the meaning we uh, imbue into this word. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I, you didn't think I'd do it, but that's what I got yeah. for Tharthar. Tharthar. Never would have, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. You could have so. told me one of Stilgar's wives. And I was like, all right, well, it's going to be Hara this week. <laughs> it's it's going to uh, be Hara. Definitely not Tharthar. <laughs> do you remember the third one? Uh, I forget her name. Yeah, me too. She's never around. Damn. <laughs> I, think, I think that was his first wife, too. Oh, no. We never talked about his first wife. Oh, I'd be, yeah, I'd be curious to look into her name. Maybe it's another lake. Ooh, oh, wow. that'd be curious. I'll find it for you after this one. I just love that it, it's named after a body of water. Yeah, yeah. That's so, that's so, and in the right region. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, but that's all I got today. Uh, it's raining outside, so obviously no Bruno. Yeah. Holy no. day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, is that what he says? <laughs> yeah. If, if God's crying, I get it. Come on, come on. He just gives me that a weird eye. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Very right. same, man. It's oh. weird, though, that he sends a distrans to say he's not coming to work. And i like, I don't know how that <laughs> he works. He sends another bat. Yeah, little Tommy shows up. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Oh, these bats give me lip, Mike. It's just it's not right. It's not right. It's Giovanni sometimes. <laughs> but that's going to do it for this week. Uh, does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys know what wine we could afford? We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can always send a distrans via SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com, and perhaps Bruno will deliver it. Maybe, depending on the weather. And, of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come over and join us at our little sketch at Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod, where you can find some of our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes. Ah, ladies of Carino. Ladies of Carino, a really good one. Next month, we just finished recording it, actually. And it's going to be a good one for me. Twisted Mentats. Yeah. Their entirety. Oh, Twisted Mentat and a little piter. Like, no, no, no. A little a piter that turned into a lot of piter. A, a little bit, a little <laughs> lot of piter. It's pretty good. It's a good, yeah, it's a good time to recap in those kind of things that uh, we glossed over in Dune in patchy kind of ways. Yeah. Really sitting it down and giving it its full time. So be, being able to record that as early as we have, I'll be able to get that pumped out a lot sooner too, which is nice. really nice. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, Derek. Yeah. Next week. Next week. What are we doing? What do you want to do? What do you think? Oh, okay. What do you What do you need from? Well, Dune? okay. I was gonna say Sightail, mm-hmm. but you brought up the point that we haven't seen Irulan and Cheney. They were not at that meeting. Yeah, and I think that's important. So Wouldn't it I, be great to just go to a knife fight of like just <laughs> them, like, in the middle of it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You never. You'd come and write it. It like, would be very short, like, and Cheney would win. Benny Desert, Mike. Maybe. What? You know, if Frank was holding out on one thing, it would be like, oh, Irulan's got game. 
and just yeah, like, I guess you're right. I don't now. I'll be able to say Cheney's gonna win. Sure. But yeah. Like I think Irulan gives her a go. No. Oh man, you you make a good point though. Okay. I'm looking at the board. Give me Cheney and Irulan. All right. You fashioned him, Laxlu. <laughs> oh, no. Sandtail and injury. <laughs> he says, "You fashioned him, Laxlu. You know better than to ask this." He paused, moved closer to the transparent wall of his tank. Or did you lie to us about this gift? Oh. Lie? You said the weapon was to be aimed and released, nothing more. Once the Gola was given, we could not tamper. That's all I got. What? Shit's hitting the fan as far as the conspiracy goes. So everyone's just, like, accusing others? I don't know, but these two have been little buddy-buddy for, like, their second sidebar. Yeah. I'm just having some alone time. Sidetail and Edric. Talk it out. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm, yeah. Let's get get out of here. Let me read it. Let's have to wait and seem like find out what both these guys are up to next week and until then the The spice spice must flow. Sorrow and compassion, word and Paul. Um, sorrow and compassion, word and Paul. Ward. War, thank you. I was like, why can't my mouth? I'm like, ward, 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 ward. Nope. Say it again. Ward. Ward. Like they went at war with one another. Oh, I know. I know the base. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like the double arm. My mouth just goes round. <laughs> it, it comes to the root of battle. And <laughs> right, take nine. Sorrow and compassion, word and Paul. No, what what (laughs) word? Ward. Sorrow and compassion, word. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) I can't say it. No, you got this, buddy. You got this. Ward. 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 Think of like a district. Say it like that. Sorrow and compassion, word and Paul. No. (laughs) Wow. What? Ward. (laughs) What's going on? Ward. Yeah. That's what we want? That's the word we want. Okay. All right, Derek. Visualize it. Embrace it. Become the ward. Sorrow and compassion. Ward. In- <laughs> <laughs> I, this is too painful. What is going on? <laughs> Sorrow and compassion. Ward in Paul. Nope. War- ward? Ward. Sorrow and compassion. Ward in Paul. Oh, oh. dude. Done. Woo. Claim. All right. To friend. Let's go. Oh, wow. Good luck, buddy. Holy shit.